This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. So good to be with you. Your guide on the side, your coach. We do what we can on this program to give you the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. Friday morning, by the way. What a great uh, what a great day. Interesting uh, little, uh, you know, event happened to my family. I, I, we may have noticed we did a replay yesterday on the show, a best of, because I was... I was out of the office. I uh, My son got home from Mexico after living there for two years. He served um, an LDS mission, which basically means for two years, these young people go away. They only are allowed to call home like twice a year, and they just go serve in the communities all over the world. My son happened to be uh, asked to go from Salt Lake City, where we live, to um, live in Saltillo, Mexico. For two years, had to learn Spanish, uh, would go around and, and not just teach church, you know, stuff for the church and, and try to, you know, uplift lives, but, you know, service-oriented, a lot of uh, just teaching of all different sorts, working in the community, getting out there, helping people. And he got home after two years. Holy cow. It's the greatest moment in on the earth, I think you can have as a parent. And Kathy and I have talked about this a lot because when you think about it, you don't, you, we, we're not allowed to talk to him other than, you know, Christmas and Mother's Day. Uh, nothing on Father's Day. No, interesting. Um, just throw them aside. But it's such an interesting thing. And so he comes home, he came home Wednesday night, and, you know, they're weird. They're just weird people because they're, they haven't been into technology, they haven't been out socializing. They're not allowed to date for two years. They're All they're supposed to do is go serve people in the community and, and, and the church and just teach people about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's pretty much what they do. But they come home, and then all of a sudden, you've got this boy that you haven't seen for two years. It's like, it's like they're coming home from war without, like, war injuries, but they have their own war injuries. In fact, my son... Last night was talking to another boy that came home, and um, he was actually hit by a motorcycle, broke his neck, broke his back. Bad stuff. Bad stuff. And uh, anyway, get my son home. Um, had a great night with him. He was so tired, though. We took him to dinner. Then we he woke up the next morning. He woke up early, but then knew he could sleep, so he slept another half hour and then woke up and then slept and woke up and slept. And... He had given away a lot of his clothes, so he didn't have any clothes to wear. Um, my wife took him shopping, and the next thing I know, we're all sitting there, and my entire family is on technology, except him. <laughs> He's just sitting there. Isn't that nice, though? It's the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. Like we, and I, how many times did I say, "You know what, Jake's home. Jake's home, you guys. Jake's home," and he's home, but he's home and. He, everyone wants technology, and everybody is on technology. And I sat there and I thought, "Are you kidding me?" And then the big talk yesterday was about he needs a car. Oh boy! And he needs technology. He you wants, thought you spent a lot on the mission, yeah? yeah. He wants Let's a just phone get started. Now. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't want him to have a phone. I don't want. I don't want you to have a phone. That will ruin everything. Just no phone. 
no car. Just sit here. Let me hold you. It's awkward. That lasts for about a week. <laughs> yeah, it does last for about a week. So enjoy it. Yeah, that's what I'm figuring. It's just he's going to get a phone. But uh, on the show coming up a little bit later in the first hour, we're going to be talking about uh, connectivity and technology. Is technology creating a divide in your family? Is it impacting your ability to uh, relate to your kids? And and is it actually decreasing their skills at actually connecting with other people? That's what we're going to be talking about. I'll be doing a coach's corner the entire first hour of the show. So uh, we'd love you to stick with us. Also, be um, watching for our uh, or be tweeting me. If you have any questions, you can tweet those questions at uh, Dr. Matt Show at Dr. Matt Show on Twitter, and we'll be taking those questions. Also, you can give us a call, and we'll be taking your calls this morning, 1-855-CHAT-BYU, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'll be taking your calls. If we get you on the phone, we'll, we'll send you out a book. Um, we've got a bunch of books. We'll just let you choose, basically. Give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Is technology impacting your family's ability to connect with one another? We want to hear from you, one eight five five chat byu But before we get to any of that, let's go to our headlines with Kathy Aiken. Thanks, Matt. Good morning. Two attackers rammed their car into a gas plant near Lyon, France today, killing at least one. The dead man was found decapitated outside the factory's entrance. French President Francois Hollande is calling it a terrorist attack, and multiple suspects are reportedly in custody. Officials say the suspects were Islamic terrorists. One of them was known to French intelligence agencies but had no arrest record. Nine people are dead after a sightseeing plane crashed into a mountain near Ketchikan, Alaska. All of the passengers were from a Holland America cruise ship. Searchers will try and reach the wreckage today. Bad weather made it impossible to get to the site yesterday. In a 6-3 vote, the Supreme Court upheld Obamacare subsidies yesterday, allowing millions of Americans who receive government aid through healthcare.gov to receive their insurance subsidies. Chief Justice Robin, uh, John Roberts wrote the majority opinion, Antonin Scalia the dissent. Meanwhile, a House Republican is proposing a bill that would make the Supreme Court justices and their staff enroll in Obamacare. Representative Brian Babin of Texas said by eliminating their exception from Obamacare, the justices will see firsthand what the American people are forced to live with. After yesterday's ruling, President Obama said the Affordable Care Act is here to stay. The State Department reports former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has yet to turn over all of her emails related to Libya. Sidney Blumenthal, the former longtime Clinton advisor, gave the House Committee investigating the 2012 attack in Benghazi nine emails that are not among the emails Clinton was asked to turn over last year. A Clinton spokesman said the Democratic presidential nominee has already turned over 55,000 pages of materials. Thousands of mourners are lining up for the funeral of of slain South Carolina Reverend Clementa Pinckney. President Obama is set to give the the eulogy this morning. Two funerals were held yesterday after the mass shooting at a Charleston church last week. Since the shooting, the Confederate flag has been a hot topic of debate, and a North Charleston police officer found out firsthand just how hot. The officer was fired after posting a photo of himself on Facebook Facebook wearing boxer shorts with the Confederate flag. The police police chief said the officer was fired because the photo questioned his ability to, to improve trust and instill confidence between the officers and citizens. With the first pick in the 2015 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Carl Anthony Towns from the University of Kentucky. 
Well, that was the NBA draft held last night in New York, and their former Kentucky center Carl Anthony Towns, a top pick for the Timberwolves. The Lakers took Ohio State guard D'Angelo Russell and Duke's Jalil Okafor going number three to Philadelphia. And Matt, I don't know if you watched it. You kind of had to feel sorry for Christoph Porzingis from Latvia. I, Did I, you see that? Is he the one uh, that went to the Knicks? Yes. Yeah, the they're all booing. He was booed. What was all that? All the way up to the stage. I mean, this guy's huge. Seven <laughs> one. He looks like he weighs about 150 pounds. Yeah. Very skinny guy, but you know, don't feel bad too long. He'll be making millions pretty yeah, soon. He's fine. But Kentucky did it again. How many? Re- how record many? tying six. six. Six in the top in the round, first round. First round. Well, I don't know if it was first or total. Okay, okay. I think six it's a total, total draft. Four in the first 13 picks. Holy so, cow. Yeah, you know, that's, that's why a lot of people are getting, I don't know what the word is. They're just college basketball yeah. now. These one and done and they're gone. Yeah. You know, you can't keep up. Because how many of them were freshmen? Oh, I don't know. Probably half of the. I mean, most of them. Because I believe. Yeah, uh, who is it? Calipari is yep, he the coach? John Calipari. So uh, John Calipari goes from the number one pick table to what? Like the number four pick table to the number eight pick, yeah, six pick going, table. Hey, and, yeah, I was yeah. the guy. I was the guy. I was the head yeah. coach. Yeah, and you know everybody wants to go there because they know he'll get you into the one NBA and draft. Done. He'll get, get you into get the lottery. In, get out. Yeah, but I guess that's the goal, right? That's right. the goal. Except, um, I don't know. It's how come one team? I guess. That's that's just not even fun watching. No, because you know Wanting. I think the goal you want it to be the goal that they stay there for the full four years and yeah. you get to you know really root for these players and get to know them. When it's one and done, you really don't get to know them. They're they're already moved on. Did Kentucky win the championship? No, they lost to Duke. Yeah. They lost. Was it Duke? God, I've totally gone blank. Duke won it all. Yeah, uh, but Kentucky was hoping to go undefeated, and yeah, and I, th- I think a lot of people were. Uh, Cheering against that's them. That's right. I so. forgot they did. They did lose that. Yeah, they lost. But you know, so being the having the best freshman team yeah. just means next year he's got to go get a whole other. He'll slew. do it again. He, he does will. it every year. Yeah, he's able to get the well, best kids in the dra- and, and into college, and then they're gone after one year. Which we is were kind excited. Of the Jazz got a, one of the Kentucky players. I believe. Yeah. So we were, you know, twelfth pick or whatever. So yeah, now think, my kids uh, can relax. Yeah, I think he'll be good. He'll be uh, either play the three, the four, three or four position. So it should be interesting. Did Jazz you s- are so young. I think they're the second youngest team in the entire NBA. Are they really? Mm-hmm. Well, so that's going to be way young. Yeah, you bring in a young. rookie and start yeah. the rookie. Yep. Did you see Okafor's hands? By the way, they're huge. He's a. That's just a freak show. <laughs> when he holds a basketball, it looks like a normal person holding like a, an orange. <laughs> Really, his hand, and then when he holds a baseball, it's like an adult holding a golf ball, ping pong ball. You know, the interesting thing, John Stockton. You yeah. know, what was he six one? He yeah. had huge hands. Did he too? Huge hands. I mean, he could palm the ball, and you know what, six one. It was really, really kind of surprising, but that's why he was so good. He had well, such and that's hands. a really good sign for the poor Latvian guy. That because um, when they, when Stockton was first uh, picked, everyone booed. Do you remember that? I do remember that. They're yeah, like, who? Nobody, you know, who is this who? guy? Yeah, from Gonzaga. Yeah, he was amazing. Who? Where? Yeah, obviously he's oh. turned into a Hall of Fame. Well, he and great. he turns short shorts into the the, the norm. Go. Yeah, it's crazy. Ben wears them every day. We're <laughs> like Ben. That's why I got to get out of here. Too yeah. short. Thank you, Kathy. Well done. Well done. Interesting headlines. God, great. Uh, it's it's actually so moving. I think to see what's going on in South Carolina. How powerful are the people there? They're taking this tragedy, this horrible event, and and turning it into history. That's the way life, it seems like this is how we should handle these trials. So thank you, South Carolina, for all your, uh, your great work there. Headline, uh, technology, it's not going away. According to the great um, Homer Simpson, I think that interweb is here to stay. 
It's not going away, folks. So is it impacting your family? Is it impacting your life? Is technology creating a divide in your family? You think it's impeding your kids' ability to connect? That's what we're going to be talking about on uh, Coach's Corner. We're going to be doing a huge uh, just beatdown on not technology, but how we use and how we teach and train up our kids to stay connected, to be using technology and enable it without disabling your family. That's up next. If you've got some insight on that or some questions or ideas, give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'd love to get you on the air with us today. Give you a free book if you get on. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you struggling with your teens, maybe your millennial generation, young adults, and your kids even, and and their use of technology? Do you feel like it's breaking down your ability to connect with your kids? So how do we enable technology, you know, take all the benefits of it without disabling your family? That is the topic we're discussing today on the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, I'll be doing a coach's corner on this subject. We have a, a great big event coming up this weekend, and um, the topic is connectivity enabling technology without disabling your family. So I thought, look, if I'm going to be doing a live event, you know, here in uh, Utah, I may as well be sharing the same information with my peeps and my friends out on the, on Sirius XM. So do you face this? Do you see in your own family, in your own life, how technology may actually be decreasing connectivity with your kids? If so, I'd love to hear from you. 1-855-CHAT-BYU, 1-855-242-8298. I want to hear your insights, your ideas. What have you found works in order to help your kids stay you know, technology savvy and technologically savvy, but not necessarily, you know, lose connection with your family. Share those ideas with us. Again, if we get you on the phone, we'll send you a a book, a copy. Uh, We have a lot of books from other guests, other topics that have been on the show, uh, plus some of my very own books. So we'll um, we'll be sending you a copy of the book and uh, you'll just give us your name and number as we get you on the phone. Again, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. But here's the deal. Uh, there's really no way around technology, right? It's 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 crazy. It's it's taking over these millennial generation. You know, the 18 to like 35 year olds, 36 year olds. They are way into the technology boon. In fact, more so than any generation. And uh, they're dwarfing us as parents, folks. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why technology is impacting the family, either positive or negatively. One reason is simply because our kids are so darned absorbed in it, right? They are so into technology that it's probably not going to go away. I was just talking about my son that was basically tech-free for two years when he went on an LDS mission to Mexico, and he's now back, but within a day is already, you know, hankering for some some technology to feed his his needs. He already had to go pull down all of his emails, move them to other servers. He's already, you know, updating his Facebook page, all of these other tools that the kids are just so enamored with. 
So no doubt about it, they're, they're quite absorbed. Another thing is our teens and our youth are so much more proficient. They know how to use the technology better, I believe, than the parents do. And because of that, parents, you're going to have to get a clue. This isn't going away. You, you're going to have to get tech savvy, or your kids are going to run so many circles around you, you're going to not go know what's going on. And because they're so proficient, and if you're not, then it's, it's going, you're going to end up paying for it just because of your ignorance. I think another reason why it's impacting us is it's creating such independence for our kids. You know, it really is creating freedom for them. They, they now, you know, do you remember when the big deal was just simply you got to go get busy? You guys, you, as parents, we had to entertain our kids. Well, not anymore. No, no. Now they just entertain themselves using technology. And we're going to have to we're going to have to teach them some skills, some tools so that they can actually still develop in a healthy way along with the technology uh, you got to develop connection skills and connectivity skills, I guess I'm going to call them. So connectivity is the state or quality of being connected, the ability to link and to communicate with others. But it's an ability. It's a skill set. And I'm afraid what's well, the biggest fear for me with our kids as they get into this content or technology is simply the fact that they may lose some of the more natural skills that are essential to life because they can just always defer to the telephone. Um, that, to me, a little scary. It's scary to think that at the very tip of their fingertips, all the knowledge they'd ever need, good, bad, and ugly. And the interesting thing is it's not always, um, there's not a good, bad, or ugly sign on each bit of information. There's not a necessarily an indicator of how accurate some of the information is. We've seen in even, even South Carolina that a 21-year-old can just go online and pick up information and just start believing it as normal and connect it to what's going on in their world and then be so enraged by it and moved to emotion by it that they would go willingly kill nine people in the church. So technology can bring and produce and generate incredible information, and yet not all the information is equal, and I'm not sure if our children necessarily understand that or even care if it's information that's, you know, positive, negative, neutral, equal, what what have you. So as a parent, here's some tools. I want to give you some tools to make sure that as you're enabling technology for your kids, you're not disabling their ability to connect to others or your family. We want the technology to serve them, to work for them, but we don't necessarily want it to work in a way that ends up destroying them. Again, I truly believe technology is good. Technology is where we're going. It is the future. It is, it's, it's what's going to happen. And I think it's overall a very powerfully, powerfully good tool. I've seen uh, for years, you know, people in my family have been trying to do like genealogy and get to know family that have gone before and learn the stories and hand down the stories of their ancestors. And I've seen them doing it. I've seen them doing it. And then I sat in a meeting one day with uh, a bunch in church, by the way, with a bunch of guys, everyone in the room older than probably 60 And the class was being taught by a 14-year-old boy on how to get online to do all their genealogy. 
and I saw I saw the future of you know technology enabling 50 60 year old men who who really struggle you know doing genealogy able to listen to a 14 year old boy who without even batting an eye got more genealogy done than most of these people in the room have done in a lifetime and he got more done in a 45 minute meeting simply because he knew how to sign on and search and got to connecting to family, to ancestors. If a 14-year-old can do it, folks, we got to be able to do it. And more importantly, we got to be able to do it without losing our ability to connect with our kids. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to be getting into four very basic rules and tools to help you make sure you're connecting with your kids as they're using technology. Four basic paradigms. Some of them are principles to focus on um, and, and how you can use technology to maximize connectivity with the, the your kids, the friends, and your family. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you connect without uh, all, the, all the hassle that can also come from technology. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on today's show, I wanted to spend some time talking about connecting with your kids and how do you enable technology without disabling your family? You know, you want to turn it on, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like back in my day, we got one of them, you know, new microwaves, one of them little microwave cookers that when you turned it on, they sounded like a you know nuclear explosion was taking place in your kitchen. So many things going on. I remember all the rules, stay away, don't lean in and look too close. It might radiate your brain. Technology, anytime we brought it into our lives, it's got to be carefully, you know, managed. We've got to figure out a way to let technology become a major part of our existence because it has so much upside But we've got to do it in a way that we don't just disable our kids by making them vegetables that can't sit there and communicate and connect with others. I want to hear from you. What have you done in your family to manage your technology use, to to better further the use of technology without impacting negatively your kids' ability to deliver? For example, do you have rules? Do you have restrictions? Do you have tools that you use, certain uh, certain sites that you uh, use to maybe not necessarily, um, imp- you know, not necessarily to edit everything your kids are doing or to track everything your kids are doing. Some do that. I want to hear from you what works on your end. Give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU, 1-855-242-8298. What works for you to enable technology without disabling your family's ability to be a healthy, happy family. Let me give you the first principle I believe all of us should be living when it comes to technology. We need to make sure we're getting better in life, not just busier. When I grew up, my mom used to just believe if I could just stay busy, life was going to be good. (laughs) 
just stay busy. If I could keep my kids busy, you may have had your grandparents or other people when you were growing up, like, get busy. In fact, I saw it yesterday. Five of my kids were sitting in a room all on technology, had my son that came back from an LDS mission, fresh and new and just sitting there. And I'm thinking, ah, you guys, turn off your technology and get busy. It was the middle of summer. What are we supposed to be doing? In fact, they asked me, what should we do? Um, I don't know. Get a book. Do we pull out a book? Well, they, if they pulled out a book, my kids today would pull it out on their technology. So they're still going to frustrate me. We want to get better, not busy. We had a great uh, guest on our show just a few, um, just about a week, and week and a half ago, named Larry Gelwicks. He's a high school rugby coach, 419 wins, 10 losses in his rugby career over like 35 years. One of the greatest coaches probably in high school sports. And he would always ask a question at the end of his practice to all of his boys. Okay, the question was simply, were you changed or were you just entertained? When we get on our technology, we probably need to be teaching our children, you're not there to just continue to be entertained. You have to somehow be being changed. One of the great things you might want to try doing with your kids, if you want connectivity to be a part of their life, start a discussion with your children every day. Maybe this is something you do around the dinner table, and you're going to start asking them, what did you guys learn today? What did you learn? What, how were you changed today? And if they want to bring up technology, they can. I have a son that brings it up all the time in a discussion, or they'll show me a, a really great you know, video or a great website where I can go find some awesome stories. So much of what I share about being changed every day is coming from this show and preparing for this show or hearing your stories out there. So we've got to be pushing to our children that they're not here to be entertained. Entertainment is not the end-all, be-all. Because when you think about sports and the movies and you think about uh, the music industry and you think about all of these and the video gaming industry, all of these different sources that are so, you know, fixated on on um, being spread and integrated into technology, every single one of those are there for your entertainment. That doesn't mean you can't be changed by them, but you're not going to be changed unless you know that change is a big deal. So one of the things I would just get clear in my kids' heads is that change and positive growth is is essential. It's an essential part of it. And I think as a parent, we need to make sure we're not just trying to keep our kids busy. Be very careful teaching your kids busyness because they live in a world where technology can deliver a sense of busyness for the rest of their life. When we were young, there wasn't as much going on <laughs> flat out. I couldn't get on my phone and instantly engage with just literally billions of websites that have something interesting to offer. Didn't have that. So getting busy for me meant grabbing a stick and running out in the yard and playing ball. That's busy. But that paradigm of just stay busy, watch out. Because our kids need to not just be busy, they need to be anxiously engaged in good stuff. They need to understand that if they're going to be on their phone, that's fine, but be doing something. Even in church, my kids will sit down. The minute the speaker starts, they pull out their phones, and they're all—their scriptures are on their phones. Their games are on their phones. 
And it's almost like, no, they're like, Dad, it helps me listen when I have something to do. Okay, sure. The great. Then put the games away, and let's just take notes on your phone. If that helps, if you need to be entering something into a phone to be able to listen well, fine, I guess. But then put the video game away and use other stuff. You know, cross-reference every scripture that's being used in church or whatever. Just use your technology for growth. It doesn't mean, too, you can't turn it off, but we've talked on the show a lot about the attention span of humans is dropping. <sighs> scary, scary stuff. Okay, second basic rule, okay? First rule, again, get them better, not just busy. And watch out for that because I think that's a generational thing. But be careful, again, because technology is going to just make you feel like you're super busy because phones are coming, texts are coming in, you're constantly being interrupted. Busy, 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 busy. Um, interesting uh, next rule for you. Think that your technology is more like a magnifying lens than a boogeyman. A lot of us from these older generations look down at our kids like technology's the worst thing that's ever happened. It's the boogeyman that in the middle of the night is going to come out and slowly kill your children. It's not. It's a magnifying lens. Really, what I mean by that is technology's not there. It's not a new problem. It's it's an old problem. That it's it's actually a, it's a new issue, a new magnifying lens that's going to shine light and shine and intensify your old weaknesses. Technology is going to basically uncover your biggest weakness. We hear on the on t- about technology and social media and how uh, Facebook is driving so many people to have lower self esteem. If I'm a betting man. Facebook's not the problem there. That person already has a a self-esteem issue. And all that's happening with technology is it's a magnifying lens that is actually able to take advantage of your big weakness. If, for example, you have no self-discipline to turn off your technology, technology is not your problem. Your problem is self-discipline, and it's going to be the magnifying lens that's going to explode and magnify your weakness. Make sense? If you're easily distracted and you're a highly distracted person, technology is going to only distract you more. Your problem isn't technology, it's your distractibility. If you always pull your phone out in front of other family members and people are calling you selfish, you know, narcissistic, or just so self absorbed, your problem isn't your phone. Your problem is the fact that you're a selfish person and technology is going to take advantage of your weakness. So if we start to see technology as a magnifying lens for what we already are, it's not the boogeyman that's the end-all, be-all problem that everyone gets to run into for the rest of their lives. It's just going to magnify your weakness. And if your weakness is your self-esteem, be careful because technology is going to then impact your self-esteem. If your weakness is control and self-discipline, careful because technology is going to magnify that. If your weakness is selfishness, technology is going to magnify that. If your weakness is your inability to let thoughts go, technology is going to do nothing but drive you crazy until you and you're not going to be able to sleep because you can't let your thoughts go. There's a great quote I love. You've heard me quote it on the show a few times. When are you going to stop swatting at the flies and go and patch the screen? Instead of pretending, and we all need to do this, instead of us all pretending like the technology is the biggest problem we've got on earth, we've got to get real about life and figure out that the fact is 
technology is not our problem. We are. And I, I suggest strongly that you focus on that, especially as you're teaching your kids. Whatever you're afraid they're going to happen, if you're afraid they're going to be tempted and go look at stuff online, then you need to go strengthen up their character and help them res- learn to respond when something that they shouldn't be looking at that's not appropriate comes up on the computer screen. You're not going to be able to keep information away from kids anymore. You better be teaching your kids how to respond effectively when that information comes up. I would love to think that I could get, you know, some filter program that would get rid of all of these problems, but it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So there's not a filter issue here. I mean, you can go try, but what you might want to do is teach your kids what to do the minute it comes up how to open a conversation with you, how to shut it down, how to bring you the phone, and how to let you get in and turn it off. That's the conversation I'd have. And I'd I'd learn to have conversations regularly about the weaknesses that you're afraid your kids might be having. If they're self-esteem, if they're kind of moral issues, and they're using the technology in, in ways that aren't healthy for them or aren't aligned to your values, Don't make technology the boogeyman, folks, because the minute you do, you're not dealing with the real issue, right? Third basic rule for you, and again, we'd love to hear from you, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Where do you see technology uh, changes and fixes that you've put in your family that enabled your family? How have you uh, handled managing your technology? We want to hear from you, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Another one of my favorite points that I think is so powerful, and I teach this to your kids right off the bat— there's a thing called micro moments or micro moments of connection. Dr. Barbara Fredrickson in her book, Author of Love 2.0, talked about it, creating happiness and health in moments of connection. But she basically described that there's a power of micro connections. When we think that we're in love with somebody, the reality of love is it's not just this constant emotion that just drives us all day long. Love is something that is really made up of micro moments that we share with another person. So instead of thinking that love is one constant that runs all day, think of it as as 50 little moments where we connect in and feel loving moments throughout the day. They're micro moments is what she calls them, micro moments of connection. It's where we share carings or feelings with each other. Now, these moments come by smiles or expressions or concerns or notes or empathic responses, sharing a story, finding something funny and sharing that funny story. And in the end, they're finding out that these moments, many of them a day, are what improve your emotional resilience. So instead of thinking that love is one big concept that we just have, or morality is one just big concept that we do all day, think of it as 50 choices a day. And when you have 50 choices a day, this is where technology can help you because you have 50 opportunities a day to stay connected to the people you love. You could use your media as a way to create these connected moments, right? and connect in. So really, you could text the minute you have a thought, the minute you find a funny thing, send it to your friend and connect in and check out how people are doing. And maybe it's texting and maybe it's calling and use your technology in all of its various forms to create these micro moments with people that you care about. When you think about a birthday, share it, put it on your Facebook page, celebrating grandma's birthday today, call her on your phone. If grandma is active and involved in social media, you know, go to her Instagram page and say happy birthday and make a big deal out of it. There's five different ways you could connect to grandma just using technology. But grandma, that means you got to be using it. 
your kids are going to use it. They say uh, that uh, children receive, I think it's 12,000, and send 12,000 text messages a month on average with a 99% open rate. Isn't that crazy? 99% open rate on our on text messages for kids. So you can go try to call them every day, but the reality is they're not going to get it, but they will get your technology. They will get your text messages 99% of the time. They're going to look at it. Um, so use your technology as a way to create micro moments. One more rule for you as you're working on making sure technology doesn't take over your family. We did a show just even a few weeks ago about um, the idea of artificial intelligence and, and, you know, is it ever going to turn into the Terminator movie where eventually our computers are going to turn against us? And our guest brought up a really interesting point that one of the hardest things that you can ever try to replicate is willpower. So computers, for them to actually grow their own willpower, their own ability to independently exercise their own will is going to be a really big step. And we're nowhere near having that ability or technology. But then I believe most of us aren't, we don't need to be afraid of a rogue computer taking over. I mean, there are places that it could, in our stock market for sure, in our power grids. That's more likely where a computer algorithm is going to mess us up as a society. That should be afraid of. But as as far as our robots turning against us, probably not going to happen. I think we're much more likely as human beings to actually just give up our willpower. We just give ourselves up. We just turn over, right? How many times now have you seen that your kids can't do tough stuff, and when things get hard, they don't know how to they don't know how to stick to it. They don't have the stick to itiveness. So one of the last rules is simply power up your willpower. We got to teach our kids about willpower and won't power things they won't do and things they will do. And one of the best ways I've ever seen to teach willpower is to help your kids do hard things. Help your kids do hard things. I've got a goal. I'm going to start with my kids. Um, at this this big event we're doing that I call four for four. I want four hard things done every day by four o'clock. Four for four. Four difficult things done every day by four o'clock. I don't care if it's just getting up on time. I don't care if it's having a goal and I don't care if it's mowing the lawn. I don't care if it's pulling out a book, exercising, writing a letter to a friend, whatever you're supposed to be doing. I want four things done by four. Hard things, and I want you to come back and report to me how you overcame your f- frustration and, and your, your difficulty, because I think if we would all do four difficult things by four in the afternoon, you're, you're going to be growing some willpower. Willpower is a muscle. You've got to exercise it, folks, and so is technology. We've got to take it over by exercising better willpower and focusing on the, the micro moments, magnifying, seeing it as a magnifying lens, not the boogeyman. And last but not least, getting better, not just busy. That's it. That's the Coach's Corner. Tech 101. How to make it better, how to enable your family with technology without disabling everybody. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, uh, be doing a little uh, helping of seeing the good in the world with Kathy Aiken up next. Right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, one of the uh, segments we've been trying to do on the show is to help you see the good in the world. That's one of the goals of BYU Broadcasting. 
Not everything's just difficult and hard. Some things are uh, actually very uplifting and positive. Our very own Kathy Aiken has helped us put together some of the good things in the world. Kathy? And you know, Matt, the saying, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Yeah. So cliched, right? Yeah, totally. But we found uh, two brothers from Michigan, and boy, that term certainly fits. 15-year-old Hunter Gandy loves the challenge of staying in shape. I play football, and I um, am a wrestler, and with that, I'm in school, that uh, takes up a lot of my time. Despite his busy schedule, the Temperance, Michigan native always makes time for his younger brother, Brayden. My brother, Brayden's eight years old. Um, he has cerebral palsy, so he can't walk without a walker. And, you know, he has to go through therapy you know, every day. In school, he has therapy. He has occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech therapy. And then he also sees outside therapists as well. Cerebral palsy is a neurological disorder affecting body movement and muscle control. Hunter was six years old when his parents brought baby Braden home from the hospital. It was hard for me to understand as I was only six at the time. Um, and, you know, it was confusing. The only thing that I really got out of it, you know, they just told me um, that, you know, my brother was be able to walk and he had difficulty doing other things. And really, you know, I just kind of, that's what I grew up with. Watching Braden grow up with CP was hard on Hunter. Then one day he knew he had to do something to help. I wanted to raise awareness for cerebral palsy just because I wanted to show people the struggles that my brother has to go through and the things that, you know, he has to do. And I also wanted to show them the different ways that we can help him out and different things that we can do to make the world more accessible to him to just make his life a little bit easier. So to make it easier, Hunter did something very difficult last summer. I started planning on um, a project. Um, we called it the Cerebral Palsy Swagger, and I put him on my back, and I walked 40 miles back in 2014 um, in June. And we just wanted to, you know, tell people about his condition um, and, you know, try and, uh, try and make things better for him. It took us two days to complete um, last year, and it was extremely difficult. At the time, it was the hardest thing that I had ever done. After that walk, Hunter knew he had to do more. So on June 5th, he put Braden back on his back and walked 57 miles this time. It began in Lambertville, Michigan, and after three days, ended up in Ann Arbor. This year's walk was definitely harder than last year's. Um, Braden was 10 pounds heavier and it was 17 miles farther. It was also a day longer, but you know, we uh, we battled and we made it through. People would drive by and you know, honk, they would be out on um, size. They, you know, if we walked past their home, they'd be out there cheering for us, maybe have a sign, wave to us. And you know, a lot of the people came out and walked with us. Um, I never had less than 15 people walking with me at a time. And I think I had seven of my friends who actually went the entire way with me. Hunter said it was the hardest thing he's ever done, but added, it's also hard on Braden as he has to hold on inside a harness attached to Hunter's back. You know, he's actually as big of a part in this as me. Um, he, uh, he has to go through actually struggles that were at times worse than mine during the walk um, with his chafing. So it's a, you know, it's a team effort and he, uh, he, he said he'd never give up and you know, we didn't and he, uh, he was really brave for a seven and eight year old at times during both of these walks. And, you know, it, it, I think it's impressed a lot of people. It just makes us want to, you know, keep going with it. Hunter admits he may not be able to keep going with this yearly walk the way Braden is growing. However, we're, we're definitely not going to be done. We're going to do, you know, maybe we'll do a different project. Um, we're definitely going to do something, though. It's just uh, going to have to wait and see what it is. Hunter says this is not a fundraiser, but a way to help people understand the needs and struggles of those with CP. Along the way, he's learned some valuable lessons himself.
I've learned a lot of things from this. I've learned, you know, the openness, um, how open people are to hearing, you know, a good story and, you know, just how much people want to help out um, to a good cause. And it's really a, you know, it's shown a different side of the world because sometimes, you know, you can turn on the news and you can see a bunch of, you know, I, I get um, the Detroit news where we're at and it's uh, sometimes some not so good stuff. But then, you know, see the, if there's people that want to help um, just help out a good cause. They, uh, they, they've definitely showed me that. So cool. Hunter Gandy. Isn't that awesome story? Yeah, you know what? Isn't he's a kid. These are kids, you know? Young. Fifteen. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I think there's so many strong young men and young women out there that are really trying to change the world. I mean, you just do that. That changes people's lives. It really yeah. does. No, totally. Yeah, you, know, you may think it's just a simple act, but I think it really opens people's eyes that, wow, you're doing something great. This is really something great. And a great way to, to get the information out there. Also, a great way to kind of make his brother feel normal, right? right? He becomes it, his legs. And his brother can do quite a few things, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, he's a bright, bright uh, young man. I have a nephew has, who has cerebral palsy, and actually I did a story on him several years ago. He walked the um, Salt Lake Marathon. Oh, wow. Took him, well, what's it, like nine hours or something. Oh, it man. was just because uh, he had his, you know, his crutches that he was using. So, you know, just to, like he said, to showcase some of the struggles that they have and yeah. – um, oh, just such a great kid. When you, if you look at the pictures, his uh, in the paper, his he's just smiling on the back. Yep, loving it. And and two, I guess what's amazing is there's this inherent will of, of a I guess of a boy, Hunter, to just serve his brother somehow. Yes, you know, and having all boys, you know, sometimes they just fight, and you think they're never going to yeah. get along, never going to love each other, and to see his absolute love for this younger brother. It was really remarkable to me. Such a totally. mature boy for just 15 years old. So impressive. Totally. Man, good job. Great story. Again, a perfect example of what we're trying to do on the show is help you recognize that everybody's got something to offer. And in a weird way, there's just that gentle prompting that all of us need to go offer what we need to offer. You know, Braden offered what his brother Hunter needed. We don't all need to offer the same thing. And uh, you just contrast that. I mean, eventually, you know, Hunter's going to get turned into a pretty big boy. Right now, he's he's just a, a fairly small boy. But when he gets into a bigger boy, Braden may not be able to carry him, but he'll be able to find something, some other way to serve him, some other way to do something. Folks, that's, that's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Use our technology wisely, right, to build and to stay connected. And let's keep seeing the good in the world. Follow the prompting. Good stuff, my friends. We'll take a break. Hour number two up after the news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the tools you need to make it through life. It's not easy. I mean, you sit and you listen to the news, and just listening to the news can throw you into a funk. Plus, add to the top of that, you know, having a bad day at work, making a really big mistake at work that, oh, man. Makes you get depressed. You're so down on yourself. Oh, I'm so stupid. 
and you fall into those traps, I think we're all prone to uh, to fall into one or another. One that we're going to be talking about today during the show with a with one of our guest experts. Uh, nine ways to that mentally strong people prevent self pity from sabotaging their success. Do you ever f- have a little pity party? Do you ever fall into that? vacuum of, oh, man, it never goes well for me. Nothing works for me. Everything is great for everyone else. Or do you just run away from your feelings? I'm feeling weird, must go to sleep, must medicate, must play video game. We'll be talking about it today. How do you get into life, have a healthy life, and not just get sucked in and get in over your head? Joining us a little bit later today will be our uh, wonderful guest, Amy Morin, who uh, is returning. She was on the show with us a few months ago, but today she's going to be talking about how to build a bridge and get over, uh, you know, your your trials, your struggles. Instead of crying yourself a river, just being all down in your pity party— how do you just move on from difficult things? She'll be picking our brain and, and helping us uh, process through that. Again, Amy Moore in, in just a few minutes. But before we go there, let's go to Kathy Aiken and check our headlines. Eight people on a sightseeing plane ride in Alaska were killed when the aircraft crashed into a mountain near Ketchikan. The pilot is among the dead. There's no immediate indication why the plane crashed. Searchers who couldn't reach the site yesterday due to bad weather will try again today. The Supreme Court ruled yesterday 6-3 to uphold Obamacare subsidies. President Obama spoke after the ruling. For all the misinformation campaigns, all the doomsday predictions, all the talk of death panels and job destruction, for all the repeal attempts, this law is now helping tens of millions of Americans. Despite the ruling, House Speaker John Boehner yesterday vowed to continue efforts to repeal the law and replace it with patient-centered solutions. Reverend Clementa Pinckney will be laid to rest this morning. The funeral for the state senator from South Carolina is scheduled... In just a short time, President Obama set to give the eulogy. Reverend Pinckney was one of nine people killed in the mass shooting during Bible study last week. Two funerals were held yesterday. Meanwhile, the debate over the Confederate flag rages on. Some are asking U.S. military bases to rename those named after Confederate war heroes. One of those is Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Major Bragg was a general in the Confederate Army. Also at New York Post... A critic reportedly wants to banish the movie Gone with the Wind. Lou Luminick says the film should be put in a museum, quote, where this much-loved but undeniably racist artifact belongs. California firefighters are busy battling a new wildfire. The Sterling Fire broke out yesterday in the San Bernardino Mountains, burning at least 100 acres. High winds and the state's severe drought is making the firefight more difficult. And Harry Potter is hitting the stage, Matt. Author J.K. Rowling announced today the play about the boy wizard will open at London's Palace Theater next summer. So the play, it's going to be called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, an untold part of Harry's story, which apparently will shed more light on the lives of Harry's murdered parents and his early years as an orphan. Ah, You going to go? I don't know. Got to go to London. Yeah. Well, I might go for London. (laughs) I might go just for London. (laughs) Just for London. Yeah. It's, um, you know, are you a big Harry Potter fan? My boys were. Yeah. Uh, Not so much. I wasn't so much, no. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm not. I haven't, I was when my kids were younger, but I'm now watching, um, the I'm watching, I guess, a lot of the I, I never finished the the last two Harry mm-hmm. Potter shows. So I don't know 
if I don't know if they're still alive. I don't know if they're dead. I only watched the first few. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? I guess maybe that's what I could do this summer. Go binge <laughs> Go watch catch a up on Harry it. Potter. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is an interesting play. I think that's an interesting uh, uh, angle that they're going to be talking about as well because you yeah. don't know. You don't know what happened to his parents. Well, this, you know, that I do know. Tell me this doesn't that. remind you just of the the trilogy, like the Star Wars, where they all of a sudden you find out about Anakin and you right. go back they to go the backwards. stories. Yeah. And, uh-huh. I don't know. Is it, I, I think what's happening is there's just a big vacuum of of talent. And we're running out of stuff to write movies to and shows about. about. Yeah, yeah. Well, this Harry Potter obviously was so incredibly huge. huge. Yeah. Made her a billionaire. Yeah. So why not keep going? Maybe that's it. Maybe you just keep going. I'd, I, I was going to do a series called Barry Blotter. Barry Blotter. About? But it was about a warlord that uh, had a really weird lightning scar on his back. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I didn't get very far with it because yeah. it just I could. What all was I, the angle? Uh, it was I don't know. It was uh, his parents died, and he was trying to fight a guy named Mordecort. <laughs> uh, I think you got something there, Matt. I I keep keep going. I kept yeah. The funny thing is, the only way I could like write another chapter was I had to go like watch the Harry Potter series. Yeah, yeah. Then I realized I'm just stealing it. Yeah, that is very similar. Yeah, I don't think that will work. Better not do that. Great, uh, great headlines. I mean, crazy stuff going on in the news. Holy cow! Uh, When we think about now terrorist issues going on in France again, man, that's some scary stuff. Tunisia, twenty nine or so uh, vacationers, people just on holiday. Shot and killed there. Uh, in the end, it doesn't seem like it's going away. It just doesn't. You're not just going to get rid of terrorism, are you? Even if you are going on summer vacation. So be careful out there. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about two things throughout the show, two in the next two hours. Julie Nelson, who is what we call the bomb mom, she'll be coming and talking to us about our children and ways, you know, some parenting tips that, that we all need. And then a little bit later in the show, we're going to be getting to Amy Morin, who's going to be talking about self-pity. Do you pity yourself? Remember, Mr. T, I pity the fool. Pity the fool that pities himself. We'll be getting into all these tools, giving you a leg up in this crazy thing called life. That is the purpose of this program. We'll be right back with uh, our first uh, guest, Julie Nelson, will be joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Townsend show. Oh, that song brings back such memories. My eyes. See, sitting here with us today, Julie K. Nelson. We call her the bomb mom. She's from the website, a spoonful of parenting.com. It brings tears to your eyes. Yeah. Just that those little times of my childhood that were just moments of perfection. Yeah. See, you, I, you and I grew up in this, I grew up in the 70s. I grew up in the 60s. A little older than you, Matt. Yeah, I don't want to brag. My child, my child. (laughs) But, But Sesame Street is a powerful tool for kids, especially uh, historically, just kids, afternoon television mm-hmm. was usually, or like the kids staying at home could watch Kermit and, uh, what's her name? Miss Piggy. Piggy. Mm-hmm. I never figured out how they fell in love. That's weird to me. <laughs> I mean, a frog and a pig. Yeah. 
the twain should Although that was meet. Muppets. That was a little later on. Yeah. But this morning, yeah. you know, it's all the Muppet family. Sure. But it began with the Muppets, the Muppeteers that started Sesame Street. And Sesame Street. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, so that there's some great research coming out about the impact that – that these like the Muppets and Sesame Street have on making kids smarter. Yeah, educational programs in general have really flourished in these last probably this last decade. PBS is a really um it's heralded a lot of wonderful shows. Yeah. And I really applaud the effort they've made to educate children. If they're gonna sit in front of the T V, why not educate them in an entertaining way? And Sesame Street with its longevity has had lots of research over the years that have proven it to be a really worthwhile programming. Yeah. And they've adapted to the new modern times, they've added new themes and stuff. Well, don't you remember? I, we we grew up in Utah and not not a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. So the only diversity I got was watching Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was powerful because I'm like, oh my heavens, wow, okay, wow, yeah, people look different. Gordon look how- runs a market or whatever yeah, Gordon used yeah. to do. I mean, yeah. it was powerful for me. It really, it really is. And um, the latest research they that, that's out, just newest one, is from University of Maryland um, and from Wesley College. And they found that toddlers who watch the show, especially African-American children, boys and kids from low-income areas who may not have had that same cognitive stimulation, yeah. the language, some of the ideas introduced to them because they come from more deprived settings, they're much more likely to keep up an appropriate grade level for their age having watched really? Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. So Sesame Street is – it's there to it's there to keep them up to speed. They they kind of comp- compared it to those early education, early intervention preschools, hmm. where kids go to like say Head Start or something like that for the low income, yeah. and that Sesame Street has some of the same advantages. Um, not that we want to say parents now you don't have to have your kids in the preschool settings, sure. um, just sit them in front of the TV. Not the same thing. In fact, the, the the study even said that it's supposed to be a supplementary. Yeah, you know, not to replace the real educational face-to-face with a teacher tutoring your child in a social setting. But they said, they said that kids who watched Sesame Street were 14% less likely to be behind in school. Hmm. They compared it to Head Start for low-income areas. Um, the, they said, though, even the researchers said that the following um, – Following the daily exploits of Sesame Street residents should not stand in for the actual attendance of a preschool program and yeah. the parent and the parent involvement. Well, yeah, yeah. But but in reality, a lot of kids aren't getting what they need anyway. So mm-hmm. if this is if this is the fallback, what was interesting, and I guess this is one of the reasons that that they might, I guess they're doing a makeover on Sesame Street, is it's got to now compete with all of these other you know shows. Yeah, Disney shows, the Disney Channel. All these other shows that are competing for their I mean, SpongeBob. Yeah, a lot of educational benefit, not not, but it's so funny, yeah. it's so funny. Krabby Patties, I love whatever that, show. that is. As a parent, I love. I mean, as, a, as an adult, I love that. But I watch it with my teenagers, and we laugh our head off. But <laughs> but as far as younger shows, you know, this one is supposed to really be spreading the preschool, um, the secondary benefits of preschool in low disadvantaged areas. Um, the one of the researchers said these findings raise an exciting possibility that TV and electronic media more generally can be leveraged to address income and racial gaps in children's school readiness. Hmm. Um, I went to the Sesame Street website and they have their own you know, research and studies and things that back up their their claims of, of being educational for many, many years. They've been around for decades. And it says that they have um, shown that through multiple studies that children who frequently view Sesame Street score better in math, science, and language arts, that those who um, have watched um, some of their 
you know, uh, science segments. Children know 50% more of nature-related science terminology like metamorphosis, hibernation, habitat, pollination. Hmm. And that those who graduate from high school um, have a GPA of 16% higher if they watch Sesame Street as young children. Really? Yes. Holy cow. See, the local uh, in Utah, KBYU, which is a local television public station, runs Sesame Street. So we always kind of hear the inside scoop and what's going on and, and the puppeteers. You know, they, we, there's just – in fact, we really ought to get them on the show. They've said before, if you want to get a puppeteer on the show, we'll get a puppeteer That would be so show. awesome. But it's – who would have thought that it's actually increasing – somebody's IQ. Well, and you know, the thing about it is it introduces language that they might not hear at home. Sure. And if they're not being read to, which is the primary, this is, the, this is, reading to your child is the number one thing you can do to increase, you know, cognitive ability in all the areas, language and, and math and science and, you know, English itself. Um, so reading your child, number one. But secondary, if you don't have a parent who perhaps because of low-income homes, they're yeah, not they're there. They're working. They're, they're out working, trying to make you know, a and that, you know, And they're being, you know, whatever their, their situation is, that these programming are the, – the higher language that they're using is going to help introduce sure. words they would not normally have heard and concepts they'd not have heard of that they've been exposed to that they may not know from, well, like, you know, metamorphosis. They're not talking yeah. around talking about that. Right. No, that's not – I mean, you, we didn't have that. I, the only time if, – if you weren't watching it on PBS and you're just watching cartoons, you mm-hmm. just were learning that Scooby-Doo can't talk right. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it, it's, it's – you need more. You need – you need kind of a you need kind of an educational approach to this to make it work. Yeah, and I always underline with parents that you know these don't replace you. No, they yeah. don't replace you. They're not the babysitter. And but the thing about it, what I love about you know Sesame Street as well as other programs, is that they make it sort of like it's it's a dual purpose. One is for the kids, but I also think that they have some entertainment value for parents. I mean, I think they do speak to us too. There's some things yeah. in there that are super funny. Have you watched Count Dracula? Oh, or, yeah. or there's just so many funny segments on there. <laughs> Kermit the Frog and his roving reporter. Um, they really are funny for parents to watch. So if you, yeah. if you can, sit down with your child and watch it and then have a discussion before, during, and after the program. That's where the, you That's can where capitalize. You can magnify it. That's where you're supposed to capitalize and Sesame Street says yes, and they give you the tools to do that um, because the parents should then use it as a kind of a springboard for further conversations. That's, I mean, it's, it really is a um, – it's a tool. Like you remember um, – what's his name? Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. Jim Rogers. You remember him? And you just – you would go and you'd go watch his show and you'd watch – I watched how boxes were made. And you'd watch mm-hmm. – he'd feed the goldfish and it was this constant – He'd always greet you with a smile and change his sweater and his shoes. But it was so – it creates continuity too. So all of a sudden you know, oh, OK. This is predictable. This is safe. Yeah. And he always – the same routine every day, which then was reassuring to children who perhaps don't have routine in yeah. their lives. And Sesame Street's the same way. They, they start the same way and they have some of the same characters and you always look forward to a routine. Um, and you have the neighborhood, which yeah. is a feeling of we belong. Yeah. And that's what Mr. Rogers did too because he had his own little neighborhood too, right? <laughs> and kids need to feel like they belong to something safe. Isn't that – and it seems like we are so – and then we laugh at them. Then they become the joke and like Mr. Robertson's Neighborhood, like with <laughs> yes. Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live. But it really is. It's a part of 
I don't you just look back fondly because that's a part of you. Oh, you grew yeah. up. Doing I was feeling this. so nostalgic last night thinking about coming on this morning. I'm like, I love that show. <laughs> it was wonderful. It had it, and I still watch some of the segments today and I just laugh my head off. It's just funny. And it's now I'm going to bet there's even more and more research behind it. So uh-huh. I mean, think about that. There was hardly any research about learning styles and development styles and mm-hmm. back in the day. Now our kids could be learning it. And I I'm still dying to know what on earth a snuffleupagus is. Do you remember that yeah. thing? That thing yeah. is just weird. It was creepy. Is one of their, I think they're less effective characters and I yeah. never, and they made it so that no one could see snuffleupagus except for Big Bird and it was troublesome. It just, yeah. from the start, they should is have got rid dinosaur? of it. Is it a dinosaur? Is it an elephant? And I, and a woolly the, mammoth? <laughs> I think it was more of a woolly mammoth yeah. idea with a really big, long elephant nose. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing also, parents, is you know, watch it with your child and then look at other – PBS and Sesame Street has – they both have websites that you can go to and have additional learning. So if you are interested, go to sesamestreet.org. They have a continuation of educational games and printables and videos on learning subjects that your child can learn from and also parenting articles like how to potty train. Yeah. And then at pbskids.org, you can do forward slash sesame and then you um, – have lots of other learning videos um, so that there's you can enhance just the TV watching and have more interactive experiences. Of course, they have their YouTube channel, so you can always download whatever and stream. I mean, there's old, no end. There's no end. Yeah. And it's educational and uh, it should be a supplement if, if best case scenario. Mm-hmm. But worst case scenario, it's it could just be a daily course. Yeah. And as an educator myself and what I know from um, the benefits of children and their healthy development, if any of you can uh, consider this, uh, I like to say a 50-50. So if they're in front of the computer for an hour – then you're with them for an hour. They hmm. earn the right to have the computer or the TV programming. If you're watching yeah, Sesame Street for, for 30 minutes, then you spend 30 minutes with them afterwards or before. Yeah. So it's a 50-50. So don't do an imbalance where the TV becomes the parent and then you were just kind of a bystander. So do if kind of think about a 50-50. If your child's been on the TV and watching it for 30 minutes, then you spend 30 minutes reading a book or talking about stuff. And so that it's, there's a balance between you and them. Isn't that uh, – that's so hard for parents, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because once you get used to using <laughs> the TV as the babysitter, yeah. then you're but, used you know, to spending that time. I know time. you're busy, parents, but why not say, hey, you know what? You've watched Sesame Street. Now come help mom fold the laundry and then talk while you're folding the laundry. You mm-hmm. don't have to sit and just say, I have no time for this. Well, yeah. what are you naturally doing? Well, if you're getting ready for dinner or if you're making your bed, then invite your child to come spend some time talking to you while you make your bed or you're doing the laundry mm-hmm. or fixing dinner or mopping the floor. Have them spend time or even have them sit and read and look at books while you're doing the chores and talk to you about what they're reading. So it doesn't have to be you're taking time away from what you're doing, but right. do it as a naturally occurring process of the day. But won't they slow it down? They're going to slow down your <laughs> ironing and, uh Mom, I want to try it. I want to try it. But this is teaching. This is learning. Yeah, yeah. I think that's powerful. Yeah. So 50-50 parents. That's a great rule, a very basic rule, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We're talking again with Julie K. Nelson from a aspoonfulofparenting.com. We call her the bomb mom. And we call her the Child Whisperer. She is our guide on the side, helping us as a parent to be a better parent. We'll come back, continue our discussion about uh, the impact Sesame Street and some of its characters. I think she's got a little quiz. A quiz? Oh, man. Do I know my Sesame Street or not? We'll find out. This is coming up next with Julie Nelson right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in the house, Julie K. Nelson is joining us. She is an author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and her new book. What's it called, Julie? Oh, uh, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. She is the uh, bomb mom and has a master's degree in marriage and family and human development, teaches classes uh, such as applied parenting, marriage and relationship skills, all at Utah Valley University. And she's, she writes for a bunch of different uh, journals and websites, Family Share, Wall Street Journal, Parents.com. And you can go to her website, a spoonful of parenting.com. She's talking to us about some recent research from um, on the topic of Sesame Street and the impact it has on positively, you know, helping these kids improve their education. The kids that are watching it. And the benefit of this, really, because it's always public television, and I think everybody needs to remember that. You know, they get some funding from the government for Sesame Street, and that became a big news story a while ago because everyone's like, oh, come on, why are we paying for – but the reality is, too, there's some pretty good research that it's it's growing the, the inner city's ability to to keep up and because they and may not a gap. be going to certain programs mm-hmm. that a lot of the other people are. Yeah, they don't have access to it or the resources or the ability to go. And so if they're staying home and watching TV, they figure, why not make it educational? Now research is backing up that they have some of the same benefits that a Head Start program or other early intervention programs That's have. awesome. Yeah. They need that. Yeah, so if they're going to watch it, let's make it educational. Yeah. And they have a lot of research to back up the actually each segment that they do. How is this going to reach a child in a particular way, through math or through science, hmm. through STEM, through you know language arts? And so they do have a lot of research behind. You don't think it's just, oh, let's do something funny today or let's do yeah. something fun. They're not just trying to entertain. Everything has a purpose. Edutainment, we could call yes. it. Yes. Education and entertainment. In fact, most you of the stars— You should brand that. You should brand I, that. I think I did. I, I just did. Branded by Matt Townsend. <laughs> edutainment. But it really is that, and it's these— uh, there's more and more famous stars that want to go on and do segments. I mean, I remember Paul Simon doing it and mm-hmm. back in the day. Oh, yeah. They all have these people that come on. I think James Roll Jones, I read, was the first one that came on and sang this ABC song or something like mm-hmm. that on there. Yeah. Uh, but they always have some famous person. Just, just people. Are These are iconic people they look up to. Now the kids are going, oh, look at this. Yeah, he does. This it. basketball star is on there. I should pay attention it's to so what they're great. saying. Really? And it they're really funny. Is. They're yeah. just funny. So you're going to give us a little quiz uh, on the characters, I guess. Well, first we're going to do just a um, how you know what how do well do you know your Sesame Street? Matt? Okay, okay. Because you grew up watching it just yeah, like I it's did, been right? Years, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. In the early seasons, who was the roving reporter for the Sesame Street News Flash? Was well, it Bert? Was it Guy Smiley, Kermit the Frog, or Oscar? Oh the Scrub? no, Guy Smiley or Oscar the Grouch? Okay, uh, Bert, Guy Smiley, Kermit the Frog, or Oscar the Grouch? Okay, I know it was Guy Smiley. It was Oscar. It was Kermit. Yes, because Guy Smiley did the talk show. He always is. You oh, know, he did the talk show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember yeah, he always game, had a game microphone. Show, the game show. Because yeah. he always had a really weird, those, yeah. you know, those Muppets had weird hands. Yeah, yeah. So how he, do you hold a microphone? He, he was the, the game show guy. So yes. Kermit the Frog, ding, ding, ding. You ding, got it right. got it. Who has a super, super man, alter ego? Cookie Monster, Ernie, Grover, or Kermit? I'm going with Cookie Monster. No, it's Grover. He puts the helmet on Grover and does. the cape. Oh, yes, man. Yes. See, but isn't Cookie Monster blue? Yeah. They're both blue. Yes, true. So I'm thinking it's should... blue. Blue. Okay, you got blue it. Blue Parsh- Partial points. Partial. Blue point. and furry. Yeah. What was the amazing Mumford's f- magic phrase when he wanted to do the, you know, turn something, you know? It's uh, alacad. Was it super sesame snacks, a la sesame, open sesame, or a la peanut butter sandwiches? 
a la peanut butter sandwich. That's it. It came back to you after all those years. Isn't that weird? I know. I took this last night and I was like, I got these right. But I haven't thought just of that for it's, 30, it's 40, drilled into my years. head. Oh my gosh. Who hosts Monster Peace Theater? Cookie Monster, Grover, Harry Monster, or Oscar the Grouch? Okay. Monster, welcome to Monster okay, Peace Dracula. Theater. It's got to be Dracula. He's not on there. Then it's the mon- the monster dude. I don't know. Cookie Monster. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that part. What? Oh, he sits with the little, he looks, you know, his little, you know, the bathrobe thing looking oh, on yeah, like they, they do like it. The Masterpiece yeah, Theater. Totally. Yes, it's awesome. What is the name of Oscar's pet worm? Slimy, sloppy, squirmy, or squishy? Slimy. You're right. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> so you this got two hard. out of five. I Yeah, I didn't pay attention. Okay, last next, last okay. one, last one. Which actor plays Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch? Is it Carol Spinney? Oh, man. Bernie Lechterkowitz. No, I can't <laughs> say his last name. Leader Krantz. That's it. Kevin Clash or Frank Oz? Hmm. I'm going to the, with the fourth from the last. <laughs> Frank Clance. Frank Oz? Is that the last or one? Or Kevin Clash? Kevin Clash. No. Ugh. Kevin Clash is the voice of Elmo. I see, yeah. And Bernie Lederkrantz plays Guy Smiley, your favorite <laughs> Guy games. Smiley. Guy yeah. Smiley. And then Frank Oz is your main guy. He does Cookie Monster. He does Bert and Grover. Um, I mean, and, that's a long time. Yeah. That, this has been running a long time. Are these people, they've been on that long? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then Carol Spinney is the right answer. Carol Spinney is Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. Big Bird uh, was always weird for me. <laughs> yeah. Was he, was it a he a or she? A little awkward, a little awkward. Big Bird's a yeah. boy bird? I think so. That's what's interesting. He's got about... a tie on, so I'm thinking yes. Yeah, probably a boy. But it's kind of a feminine tie. It's kind of pink yeah. and yellow or something. Yeah, but yeah. he's just really well dressed. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, he was. But he sat on his eggs on his nest, so I'm not really sure. Did he have eggs? Well, he sat in his nest. I don't know. Were there eggs in there? I, I don't think remember. He had a lazy boy chair. <laughs> okay, That's interesting. Here's some trivia. Yep. Oscar the Grouch was originally what color? Oscar the Grouch. Normally he's green, right? Yeah, he's normally green, but I'm going to say he was originally red. He was, yeah, because he was mad all the time, right? Yeah. No, he was orange. Really? And then the song by the Carpenters, which is Sing a Song, you know, uh-huh. Sing, yeah, sing yeah. a Song, was originally intended for the show's opening theme song. Really? Um, in 1970, Ernie's signature song, Rubber Ducky. Uh-huh. I used to sing that to my kids in the bathtub oh, sure. all the Absolutely. time. It reached number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100. But look at how many of these moments are part of just Americana. Yeah, exactly. Rubber yeah. Ducky, mm-hmm. I would came from that show. I sang it to my yeah. It was very popular. Everyone sang it. Yeah. Okay. Big Bird's height. How, what's his actual height? I'm gonna go with eight foot five. You're so close. Inches. Eight foot two. Mmm. Mmm. Really close. He's a tall bird. Um, Ernie wears horizontal stripes on his sweater to make him look more relaxed. He's the short, you know, yeah, rounder yeah. one. Bert's vertical stripes on his sweater make him appear more uptight, which are their characters. But shouldn't Ernie, if he wants to look less rounded, wear yeah. vertical stripes, True. not horizontal If he was stripes. concerned about his, his weight issue, yeah. but he wants to be chubby and kind of round and kind of fun. <laughs> but Ernie's kind of more that, you know, vertical guy. Yeah. Okay, last thing. Yeah. 
By the way, Ernie's head misshapen. Is it Ernie? <laughs> yeah, Bert. Bert. Bert's head was no Beaker from the Muppets is yeah. totally misshapen. Beaker had a really big. Mouth, mouth jaw. jaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we talked about Frank Oz. He was Cookie Monster and he was Bert and Grover. Last trivia. What was Frank Oz in the Muppets? What did he puppeteer? Frank Oz. Two characters, actually. Oh, those two old guys up in the... I, you know, aren't they funny? Those are great. No, he didn't do them. He did Miss Piggy and Fozzie Bear. Oh, Fozzie Bear. I mean, the guy is a genius. Yeah. Look at all the people he's doing. And... Yeah, they call him it, the wizard. To make him iconic... To, exactly. To make him iconic, guess what other trivia I found out about him? What? Frank Oz was also the puppet and the voice for Yoda, Yoda. In, Star, in Star Wars. Good person is Frank. <laughs> wow. He's a genius. He is a genius. To do all Is he those... still alive? I, I think We're gonna so. We're going to Google it right this I second. looked all these guys up and they all seem to be alive. I thought that um, Carol Spinney had passed away recently, but I don't think I don't think he did. I mean, that's, yeah, Frank Oz. Look at him. Yeah. They all have long hair and beards. They look like all hippies. I think what a all fun way to kind of just, just what a great life. I mean, seriously, and Changing all the lives. voices that they become icons, they really are genius, these guys. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, you are too. Well done trying to make sense of the the Sesame Street world for us. Mm-hmm. It really has. It's gone on since, I guess, 69. That's when I was born. That's how old this is. Wow. Unbelievable. I predate Sesame Street. Yeah, you did. I was I was watching black and whites, and then when this came out, bam, <laughs> I was hooked. <laughs> and now you're listening to uh, Sponge, SpongeBob, SpongeBob, which is so I graduated. sad. <laughs> so sad. Well done, Julie K. Nelson. Everybody, go check out her website, a spoonful of dot com, and she'll just keep feeding you more spoonfuls. Mm-hmm. It just keeps coming. It never ends. Never. With Julie K. Nelson. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be uh, talking with Rod Gustafson, our good friend at ParentPreviews dot com about uh, some of the new uh, movies coming out this weekend that you're going to want to maybe take your family to. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, joining us on the phone, Rod Gustafson is with us from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Rod, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi, Matt. How are you this morning? Doing well. Hey, I took your recommendation. Uh, Last night took my family to Inside Out. Great show. That was, and I am sure with your... Um, psychological perspective that that was a very interesting movie. It really was. It was fascinating to see. I mean, it really was fascinating. And it's it's something that I feel like I could watch again and again and um, (laughs) and just funny, just funny parts. I really. And but you nailed it, too. Just how you guys reviewed it. It was it was a it was a big part of, you know, convincing my family and my wife and everybody to go to it. (laughs) Well, that's good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You're doing, wondering is, you're doing your I work. I was wondering how you would feel about that one, yeah. um, especially from your professional perspective. Yeah. So. It was fascinating. And um, you've got more that are coming out, uh, other shows you've reviewed recently. What uh, What's on the docket today? 
Well, we've got one, um, one that I really, I quite enjoyed that is a, a boy and his dog movie. You huh. know, we used to get a lot more boy and his dog movies. Um, this used to be a very popular genre, of course. I remember one of the first ones I ever watched was Old Yeller. Yeah. It showed that to me when I was in, like, grade two as a big treat at our school, and I was already one of the picked-on kids. And, man, that one just did me in. So I, I didn't really like Boy and His Dog movies ever since Old Yeller. Yeah, you know what? kind of ruined it. They've, well, they've gotten better. They, they've learned. Don't kill the dog. Yeah, keep <laughs> the dog alive. <laughs> yeah, keep the dog alive. And now I, I've spoiled a little bit of this movie. This movie is called Max. And so, parents, you know what? I am. I'm going to spoil it for you. The dog, the dog makes it. Okay. So, okay. So, so you can take your kids to this, and you don't have to worry about an old yeller crisis like what oh, happened good. to me. Because it's yeah. a military dog, right? It's a dog with a military handler. That's right. He's a dog with a military handler who's working, and it looks like Iraq. I don't know if they ever say exactly where it is. Oh, in and, Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan, thank you. And the um, yeah, I should just I should just read read our review, shouldn't I? Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and he, a bomb <laughs> a bomb explodes and uh, kills the handler. The dog manages to survive. Now we also though we we know we have already met uh, this handler, this young marine, his family who are living, uh, of course, back home in the United States. And uh, news of their son's death hits them really hard, but especially his younger brother. And his younger brother is a young boy who is uh, really quite reclusive, and he's been spending his time playing video games. His name is Justin, and uh, he's been having a real difficult time already coping with life, but the news of his brother's death only makes it worse. Anyhow, the dog comes home, and the military contacts the family so that they can meet the dog, but the dog now is suffering from, uh, is 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 struggling with the effects of what has happened. And, uh, in fact, they say dogs can get um, post-traumatic stress hmm, syndrome. Sure. syndrome. I didn't know that. So, anyhow, uh, the dog is really struggling with that. And so they go over to see the dog, and suddenly when the dog meets Justin, his handler Kyle's younger brother, this is the first person that he has really bonded to since the attack happened. So the family decides we will take the dog. And Justin doesn't really want the dog, but his father says, you're going to look after the dog. And so very reluctantly, Justin starts learning about this dog. And, of course, a bond starts happening. And then there's an adventure that takes place. Justin has been involved in some bad things already. He, um, his, One of the things he's doing is he copies video games and removes all the uh, copyright codes from them, and he's selling them to a shady character. Ooh, wow. Well, it turns out this shady character is actually involved in much worse things than than copying video games, and then Justin uh, inadvertently gets pulled into that. So there is an adventure in this film. I, I need to warn parents: there's some gunplay. You're going to see some people, uh, some people get shot. But at the same time, this movie is rated PG. It does not have, um, so we're not going to see uh, blood effects and that type of thing. And and the violence is. It's a little high for a PG movie, but 
relative to all the superhero movies and everything else, way lower than what you're used to seeing in many of those films. Hmm. So I would say, you know, for the 10 and over crowd, there's a small little niche window that I think this movie will appeal to, maybe the 10 to 14-year-old crowd. There's also a, a, a female character in this film that I really liked, who turns out she's a, she's Hispanic and she really loves dogs and is really good at working with dogs. And she helps Justin start working with this dog. And she's uh, a very intelligent girl as well. And I really appreciated the diversity that is in this movie because some of the bad guys are Hispanic. Some of the good guys are too. And hmm. frankly, we get way too many movies where the bad guys are the Hispanics. It's yeah. really nice to see this balance in here and especially the female character as well. So That's great. So, no, it sounds like a great one. Yeah, be great on this one. And I'm I'm concerned this one's going to get lost in the in all the rush of Jurassic World and Inside Out. I don't know that it's going to do really well at the box office, but it's actually a very good movie. Sounds great. And um talk to me about me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Well, me and Earl and the Dying Girl, quirky is the first word that comes <laughs> to mind with this movie. This film is a story about a teenage boy. He's in high school. And uh, again, some psychology at work here. He is doing his best to not be noticed by anyone. And so he has put together a plan where he kind of schmoozes with each of the cliques and each of the groups in the school hallway so that nobody really notices him. But at the same time, everybody thinks that he's an okay dude. So yeah. Just leave him alone. One day, he um, he hears some girl talking about a test, and as he goes walking by, he cracks some remark about, oh, tests are dumb or whatever like that. I, you know, I can't remember the exact remark. Anyhow, he gets home, and his mother informs him that there is a girl at his school who has just been diagnosed with leukemia, mm. and he realizes it's this girl that he heard talking about a test. She wasn't talking about an academic test. She was talking about this test that she's discovered that she has cancer. So her name is Rachel, and the boy's name is Greg, and Greg's mom tells him that he needs to go over and visit Rachel, that he he must do this, and he's very reluctant to do this. She is not happy with having him there, but as the days go by, the two of them start forming a friendship, and um, it's a very admirable friendship. Um, Greg only has one other friend, a friend that he's known since grade school, and all the, the two of them have spent their entire childhood making silly um, spoofs of classic movies together, and <laughs> yeah. they make these movies. And so they start showing them to Rachel. They've never shown them to anybody before, and she starts watching them. And so the trio of them start forming a friendship. Um, but what is interesting is this has forced Greg to come out of his kind of formula he's made his shell so to speak and now he is being noticed at school and good things are happening and bad things are happening and he's not very happy about that and he also resents the that rachel is dying he still feels like she is making a choice to die because of how it's going to affect him if this film is very interesting matt because it's uh, you know greg suffers from a, a sort of narcissism that i see that seems to be an epidemic among so many young people today where they really don't want to commit to anything and they have a very difficult time seeing the world outside of their own perspective. I really appreciated the messages that come across in this film. Now, the downside of this movie is there are some 
there is some frank sexual discussion in this film and also some the use of some crude sexual terminology hmm. which is really really unfortunate which is why we're giving it a C plus we're not really recommending this one for family viewing however it's got some wonderful uh, messages in it and some wonderful lessons and Greg really is an admirable character he gives he he learns how to lose himself by serving somebody else that's right. and that's that's an unusual thing to see on the screen especially for a teenager so good and bad in me Earl and the dying girl it's it's interesting um, they just I guess for for real effect or whatever they're doing it for they still just have to throw some of the language in there don't they to they feel like they need to, but man, it, I, it's it's sad. Yeah. It's sad that you. I think we could have snuck it I, in without it. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the problems is that filmmakers struggle with the idea that if you're portraying a high school um, uh, and people who people in that age group, that for it's not authentic if they aren't using crude sexual terminology and if they aren't discussing sexual topics and those types of things. Right. And uh, I, I think that's I think that's a lot of it, that they feel like this will make more real and more of an authentic experience. And uh, I, it's really unfortunate that they feel a need to do that because mm-hmm. I know uh, many people that age who do not um, who do not use those words and that terminology, and I still think they're having an authentic high school experience. Oh, you bet. And you and, you know, then all of a sudden there will be certain people that just won't be able to or won't go see it be, simply because of it. So, yes, yeah. Which you know, and when I say it's unfortunate, I don't mean it's unfortunate that they won't see the movie. It's just unfortunate that these things were included. So, yeah. parents, you want to be careful of this one, and this might even be a good one to wait for home video where you can watch it ahead of time and then uh, talk about it later. So, I'll try and remember to. Remind you, Matt, on yeah. the show once this one's out on home video. Yeah, that'd be great. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Good stuff. Um, well, we appreciate you again, Rod, and the great work you're doing there at parentpreviews.com. It's such a wonderful website that really you can go um, check out movies before they're coming out but then and then find the review. But you can also ta- listen and or read about how you can talk to your kids. And, Rod, I thought that was so helpful in Inside Out, just the discussions that you can have yeah. and hold from it. Yeah. So, Well done. Yeah. The discussion is really what can make a movie worthwhile. Oh, you bet. And it keeps it alive for the family. Well yeah. done, uh, Rod. Keep up the great work there at ParentPreviews.com. And if everybody out there in listener land, go, go bookmark that site, ParentPreviews.com, a powerful resource for all of us. We'll take a break. Uh, hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. We'll be back next hour with more. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. This just in, Supreme Court rules states must allow same-sex marriage. It's in. Uh, According to CNN, in a landmark opinion, the Supreme Court ruled Friday that states cannot ban same-sex marriage, establishing a new civil right and handing gay rights advocates a victory. 
that until recently, you know, what seemed unthinkable, it was a 5-4 ruling, and Justice Anthony Kennedy waited or did the writing for the majority with four liberal justices. Each of the four conservative justices wrote their own dissent. So, again, this is the battle that's been going on all throughout the country anyway uh, in all of the just local cases and state by state. Uh, with more and more states granting the rights and the privileges uh, to marry for gay couples. Again, this this now says nationally this is a right. States have to honor those rights. Um, and uh, it's interesting. A movement was already being created, right? And, and there was always this recently, at least, state by state. States were trying to combat it in the ways that they, they could and they tried, but eventually the Supreme Court's ruled on it. And now all of a sudden, uh, it's the law of the land, folks. So you got to figure out how do you respond? How do you respond to this? It really it's an interesting movement because for years um, they just they for years. I don't even think the LGBT world was even looking for marriage for years. They just wanted to have the same rights to be able to have insurance coverage from their partner's work, or to be able to get access to them in their medical issues when and, and make help make medical decisions for their, their partners. Um, and over years and years of not being able to have basic rights like that, too, uh, you know, why not go for marriage? And so here we sit. And again, it's if, wherever you sit on the, the discussion and the topic of this, it's this is your system. This is the government and the po- political and uh, court system creating the laws, working and creating and supporting our laws of the land. Now, uh, you got to figure out how you feel about it. Uh, in the end, people are people and we can still love the people, even if you don't fully understand or agree or like some of these rulings, people need to be respected from all sides of the argument, not just lesbian, gay uh, rights, but also um, religious liberties and freedom to choose and and to make uh, some decisions based on your own conscience as well. So it's it's always again, as all of these are, it's a sticky sticky situation. But again, Supreme Court has ruled states must allow same sex marriage uh, to happen. It's a, it is a right. It's now a right. Um, interesting stuff. We are going to uh, go more to our headlines by tossing it over to Kathy Aiken, find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Well, Matt, as you just said, the Supreme Court ruling five to four that states must allow same-sex marriage. Currently, 36 states allow it, and today's ruling means the remaining states will have to remove their current bans. The ruling doesn't take effect immediately. The losing side has three weeks to ask for reconsideration. Today's ruling follows yesterday's 6-3 vote to uphold Obamacare subsidies. After the ruling, President Obama said the Affordable Care Act is here to stay. Meanwhile, GOP presidential candidate Ted Cruz, he also spoke after the vote. If those justices want to become legislators, I invite them to resign and run for office. That's the appropriate place to write laws on this floor. House Speaker John Boehner vowed to continue efforts to repeal the law. Meanwhile, a House Republican is proposing a bill that would make the Supreme Court justices enroll in Obamacare. Representative Brian Babin of Texas said by eliminating their exemption from Obamacare, the justices will see firsthand what the American people are forced to live with. Nine people are dead after a sightseeing plane crashed into a mountain near Ketchikan, Alaska. All the passengers were from a Holland America cruise ship. Searchers will try and reach the wreckage today. Bad weather made it impossible to get there yesterday. 
The funeral for slain Reverend Clementon Pinckney is scheduled for this morning. Pinckney was one of nine people killed during a Bible study at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina last week. President Obama is scheduled to give the eulogy. Two funerals were held yesterday after the mass shooting last week. And Noah's Ark, Matt... It's in a Kentucky pasture. What? You didn't know that, did you? A tourist attraction called Ark Encounter is being built. It's 510 feet long, Uh and it's the largest timber frame structure in the world, apparently. It's being built according to the dimension uh, provided in the Bible and will have three stories of exhibits, and the fourth floor will be a restaurant. Wow. So they're hoping it will be the biggest attraction outside of Disney and Universal. Will they put animals in it? Because that thing's going to smell. It would it smell. I think, yeah. It's just exhibits. So probably plastic animals is what I'm guessing. I don't know. Based on the flooding in Houston, they should have been built in Houston. <laughs> there you go. Right? Exactly. Then they could ride yeah. it out to the Yeah. Well, Gulf. Ken Ham, president of Answers in Genesis, is betting millions of people will flood the Williamstown attraction. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. And more biblical exhibits are planned there, including the Tower of Babel. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're just going to get every iconic. Exactly. And even something about, you know, parting of the Red Sea. Not sure how they're going to do that. That's going to be a yeah, ride. Interesting. Could be. That'd be a fun ride, wouldn't it? Look at Universal Studios. Didn't they do that already at Universal Studios? Uh, parting of the Red Sea ride? Yeah. Wasn't there like a, a Ten Commandments ride somewhere where <laughs> I swear they did it? Maybe really? that's just a childhood dream. I think you just, yeah, you dreamt that last night or something. But it's, I mean, I guess they need a Garden of Eden. Yeah, and you could partake of the fruit, Ooh, maybe. See what then happens. they need an Armageddon. There you go. Well, some people that would be a good ride. Some people are feeling like it's already Armageddon. Yes, well, President right. Obama's <laughs> winning all of these Supreme Court decisions. There you Not go. Not that he's winning them, but he's you know the Obamacare safe and protected. A lot of people thought that might go down. Yep. And now with the uh, the the decision, the recent decision from the Supreme Court, same sex marriage. It's here to stay. It's there. It's a law. It's it's their rights. It's maybe this is interesting. It's again, as a Christian, you should be able to understand these needs of even if you don't like them, you still got to love these people. They're your brothers. But I agreed with what you said earlier. There's got to be um, on both sides. Yeah, you got to be on both sides. Yeah. If, we, if we are to accept that, you need to accept our religious liberty, whatever. Because so it's really, just, that's, that's it, going to become a huge argument now. Right. And the thing about religious liberty, it's already in the Constitution, So, but it's just not always protected equally. Which is interesting. It seems like a powerful—we're we're at a weird stage, I think, of our, our growth in the country. Don't you think? Like right. it's, now it's like we—wow. You can fight all you want. In fact, you just heard Ted Cruz in one of our sound bites there. Talking about the Supreme Court is now becoming legislators because right. they're changing, they're mm-hmm. making law. Mm-hmm. And and yet then others would go and argue, well, then great, then pull your head out and go start making law, senators. Right. I mean, because there's so much contention, there's been a lot of gridlock. What's interesting is somewhere we got to break some of the gridlock and start getting some decisions made together. Well, just seeing some of these things are, de- are being defined I mean, what is the real definition? That's right. a problem. What we thought was the definition is being changed, like Bill Clinton. What is it, the definition of is? Is, yeah. What yeah. is? It depends what, on what, what is, is, is. What is, is. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's the problem. I think everybody's just got a different definition of yeah. what it is. So, And, and this, is, this is, I guess, goes back to our age-old age old issues of just how do you discuss differences? I, I personally believe, I think 30, 40 years ago when probably the gay right movement was starting, it wasn't – they weren't looking for marriage. They were just looking for some equality. And yet – we didn't see them as equal. 
necessarily. We saw them as broken or tribaled and or troubled and struggling and mm-hmm. um and so I think what happens is then we created this opposition and in the end life's going to shift and in the end I think they thought well then we just want what everyone else has. If if you won't just give us the rights naturally to access the records of our families or to get the insurance claims of my per- my partner that died mm-hmm. then I guess I have to go after marriage. So then so in a weird way if we won't understand human needs anyway, then then all of a sudden they are going to go after something that we held so dear. Right. Marriage. Right. Now yeah. we're going to take marriage then because that's how we're labeling everything. Every argument was, well, you're not married. That's why you can't have these mm-hmm. rights. And it's sad. I mean, it's sad because, I, you know, marriage is a powerful, essential institution and we hold it up as such. And yet... Then they make – I heard an incredible argument the other day. Well, if marriage if marriage was so sacred and so special, then then those that were heterosexuals weren't always making it look so good and healthy because <laughs> a lot of the health, a lot of the marriages were holding up. I'm sure you've heard a bunch about up. that, right? You're like, yeah. no, it's true. We're actually mm-hmm. not. And so right. oh, in the end, we're still human. We're still children of God. However, we now – we, now you just deal. Now you deal. You deal with it. Good stuff, Kathy. Uh, appreciate it. Really, um, it's it's again, it's about growth and about development. And we could just sit there and, you know, people can go into this horrible hole and just pity and pity what's going on with the country. But maybe what we ought to do is take the lesson from our next guest, Amy Morin, will be joining us. She uh, wrote an article that is, I think, a really powerful way to um, to try to understand what's really going on in in your life. Uh, when it comes to you, are you somebody that just naturally is strong and you don't fall into self-sabotaging like pity parties? Or do you just, or do you? Do you just kind of go down the river wherever the pity takes you? Amy Morin will be joining us. Nine ways mentally strong people prevent self-pity from sabotaging their success. We're going to read and or learn about an article she wrote and uh, see what she has to teach us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you ever fall into the pity party? Life's just not going the way you want it to, and you just uh, fall apart. Well, there might be an advantage to being a, a little bit stronger uh, mentally. And our guest today, Amy Morin, is joining us. She is the um, she is a licensed clinical social worker, a psychotherapist, also a college of psychology instructor and internationally recognized expert on mental strength. She says that mentally strong people refuse to allow self-pity to sabotage their goals. Instead, they use life's inevitable hardships as a way to grow stronger and become better. Amy Morin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thanks for having me. Good to have you back. You've been on the program before. We loved having you. We had to have you back for seconds. Well, thank you. I appreciate being on your show. I love this article that you wrote um, about the nine the nine things that mentally strong people do. Let me find it here. Nine ways mentally strong people prevent self pity and sabotaging uh, from sabotaging their success. What, what's wrong with a little pity now and then? I mean, who doesn't just love a little pity party? That's just it. I think you know. A lot of times we like to indulge ourselves in a pity party, but 
it, it holds us back. The more you spend time you spend hosting your pity party, the less time <laughs> you spend fixing your problem. And even when you can't fix the problem, you can at least change your attitude or go out and make your life a little bit better. That's true. I mean, I guess it's just what are you going to spend your time on, huh? Just right. wallowing or, you know, moving on. Exactly. And when you wallow, it, it doesn't do you, you or anybody else around you any good, and it doesn't improve your circumstance. That's a, it's really a, and especially because you can be justified to have a pity party. I mean, well, yeah, so and so was just, uh, you know, lost their job, and I haven't been able to work because of my health. You could fall into that pity party, and everyone would agree you should feel sad, except it doesn't change your situation, it just keeps you feeling sad. Right, and I think that's an important distinction. It's always interesting to me when I talk about this subject is people sort of have this line that they draw about when it becomes acceptable to to throw a pity party. So yeah. for some people it is, you know, when you're um, stuck in financial problems and, and it's not your fault, well then yes, then you can host a pity party. <laughs> but in reality, you know, that there's a big difference. Of course you're going to be sad when bad things happen in life, but there's a big difference between feeling sad and wallowing in self-pity. Wallowing in self-pity is what keeps you stuck rather than just being sad, where when you have these normal emotions as far as feeling sad, feeling hurt, feeling angry, whatever it might be, you can still face those emotions and move forward, but wallowing is really about staying stuck. Isn't that funny? And, and again, you the minute you're really good at recognizing and, and actually enjoying how jacked up your life is, and, and it's it's a good thing for you, you're you're probably totally upside down, aren't you? You're just you're 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 paddling the wrong way. Yes, absolutely. It's sad. It's so sad, but we do it, and I see it all the time. I mean, I, you know, there's people that just they love telling you their sad story, the sob story, but yeah, like you said, it doesn't change anything. You say that there's nine ways that mentally strong people prevent self pity from kind of taking over their world. Uh, talk to us. One of the first ones you mentioned is. Mentally strong people face their feelings. What do you mean by that? Well, yeah, you know, it's oddly, self-pity is often a way to avoid confronting your feelings. So somebody who feels sorry for themselves doesn't really want to go straight through this hurt and anger and sadness. So sort of to, like, skirt around the issue, they're like, oh, I just won't leave the house for four days because I don't want to go out and see people. Or or rather than working on the on the problem, they want to call everybody they know to invite them to their pity party by saying, gosh, can you believe this happened to me? <laughs> And and it's really a way to sort of get around your emotions and rather than facing them head on. Sometimes you just have to say, yeah, this is sad and allow yourself to, to feel that or allow yourself to go through grief head on. And, and that's uncomfortable and nobody likes to do that, but it's better than sitting around thinking about, you know, how horrible your life is and, and sort of magnifying all of your misfortunes. Well, and you, because it is a downward spiral like you talk about, but you also then suggest healthy people, you know, mentally stronger people, um, they recognize the warning signs of the downward spiral they're in. They actually see it real time. Yeah, there's a big link, obviously, between how we feel, what we think about, and how we behave. And those three things are all intertwined. So when you start thinking, you know, that my life shouldn't shouldn't be like this or I shouldn't have to deal with these problems, it causes you to feel bad. And the worse you feel, the less likely you are to get up and get active and, and work towards a solution. So true. I mean, it, it's it's self-awareness. A lot of this is just recognizing what's going on, but also, I guess, being able to question how you're seeing the problem too, huh? 
Yeah, because, you know, when we're stuck in self-pity, we exaggerate things. And we think, you know, nobody else ever has to deal with problems as big as mine. Or you start to think, you know, my my life is worse than everyone else's. Well, those things aren't true. <laughs> and sometimes to really get a hold of yourself, you have to stop and think, well, is my life really that bad? Chances are maybe you've gone through some rough times, but, gee, compare yourself to people on the other side of the earth, and pretty quickly you can see that your life's not that bad. Even in the worst-case scenario, I see it with my clients, um, like a divorce. They're going through a divorce. They found out their partner's been cheating on them, and they're going through a divorce. Um, Okay, okay, we'll feel that. That's good. Go feel it. Go through your emotion. Go through the grieving process. But – there comes a point where, like, I look at – I had a, a – a recently I had a client that's – she's still going to – she's still got an education. She has uh, incredible talents and gifts. She already – she's going – she's set up basically for life financially. And I sit there and compare her to other clients and I think, oh, wow, you have no idea. I mean, imagine if you were in this situation losing everything and having no money. And yet you can't – I can't convince someone of that. They That's why they need to be mentally strong, right? Because I can't just sit there and try to talk them into being healthy. Right. Often we compare ourselves to people who are better off. We look around and think, you know, all these other people, their lives are so much easier. Well, just look the other direction and you'll see that there's plenty of people who are, have way tougher circumstances than you do. Yeah. So when we hear people complain about, you know, I'm so busy and I've got 12 loads of laundry to do and then I have to go grocery shopping – well, just think about that statement alone. You have to do your loads of laundry. Well, at least you have running water. Yeah. <laughs> or you have to go grocery shopping. You get to go to the store and buy food and you have money, you know? Yeah, no, totally. It's really not the end of the world. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, well, you just, yeah, you don't understand. You're like, right. okay, right. It, and again, that's why it's so powerful because I can't, this has to be something we have to choose to do to be able to turn a negative thought you call it into a behavioral experiment. What do you mean by that? Well, because, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll think those things like, you know, I, I can't ever go out and get a new job. Nobody will ever hire me. Well, you won't know until you try. But sometimes self-pity keeps us just sitting on the couch thinking nothing good will ever happen. Well, and then that can affect your behavior. But unless you go out there and challenge some of those negative thoughts, you'll never know. And so I run into a lot of people in my therapy office as well who will say, well, you know, I could never get a new job or I could never go out and get married again because I'll never meet anybody. Well, no, you won't meet anybody if you're sitting on your couch or no, nobody's uh, company's not going to call you and offer you a job when you, you haven't even gone out and applied. You have yeah. to go out and, and do those things to make <laughs> it happen. It's so true. I was sitting in an activity or a speech I was about to give in front of, I don't know, like a thousand um, singles. And a woman came up to me that I had met before uh, and she said, oh. Look out there, Matt. Look at that group. And I'm like, yeah. And she says, they're pitiful. There's not one person in that group that is marriageable. Not one person in that group that's marriageable. And I'm and I'm sitting here trying to go find a husband in that group. And I I look I look, I was like, what are you saying? And I said, I go, you know what is so amazing? Um, you are the you're the second person to tell me that. And the other was a man that was looking right at your group of friends and said, look at that group. And she's like, really? And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, yep. It's all in our head. There's nobody. Right. There's nobody good enough to marry. And every, if everybody in the room is thinking that, then I guess you're right. There is nobody in that right. group to marry. But it's it's all about the mental, isn't it? It's about the psychological. But I love that you turn it into an activity, a behavior. 
Take your negative yeah. perception and go do something about it. Turn it into an act. Right, because I find that people who feel sorry for themselves, they really end up living this sort of really pitiful life after a while. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that people will say, you know, well, I don't have any friends and nobody likes me. Well, when's the last time you went out and did something nice for somebody or the last time you went to a party and spoke to people rather than just sat in a corner and sulked? Or so you know, what steps can you take to, to make your life a little bit better? And by putting it in our court, you know, by making it us turn it into an action, then I like that as a, as a coach because then we can call the bluff. I mean, right. if you're not going to act on it, then you just must enjoy this thinking pattern. It's somehow it's serving you. Right. Absolutely. That's interesting. Interesting stuff. Let's take a break. We're talking with Amy Morin, and um, she's a a great author, a writer, uh, and really, I I think personally, just knows how to just shoot totally straight and and teach you the the straight deal. She's also the author of a best-selling book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Take back your power, embrace change, face your fears, and train your brain for happiness and success. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. More on blowing up the pity party right here on BYU Radio. Hey, do you feel like you're a mentally strong person? Do you not know how to let go of the pity party? Well, our, our next guest, Amy Morin, uh, is teaching us how to do that and some, some ways that we can become uh, a lot stronger mentally and, and really take over and, and take charge of our life. A couple of uh, points she's already made is mentally strong people question their view, their perceptions. They take their negative thoughts and they turn them into behavioral experiments and uh, she's going to continue the journey with us right now. Amy Morin is an LCSW, a social worker, a psychotherapist. She also is a, is a writer, a blogger for psychologytoday.com. You can find her there. Or just go to her website, Amy Morin, M-O-R-I-N, LCSW.com. Amy Morin, LCSW.com. And you can get her book, uh, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Do. Powerful stuff. Amy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hey, some other tools to help us overcome the pity party. Uh, you suggest that they reserve, mentally strong people, reserve their resources for productive activities. What do you mean yeah, by that? I've met, uh, you know, I've never met anybody who says, who says, I sat on the couch for four days and didn't get dressed and didn't shower, but then I felt much better by day five. I don't know what <laughs> it know, was, but I had really, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I ate cereal for six like weeks. To figure out, okay, what's the best use of my time and my energy? You only have so much time and you only have so much energy. And the the more time that you spend wallowing is the less time that you have to try to improve your situation. And so rather than staying stuck focused on the problem, to be able to say, well, what what, what can I do that's productive? How do I look towards a solution to try to make things a little bit better? That's great. I mean, really, if you've got, you know, certain only a certain amount of energy and resources anyway, spend them wisely. Don't just exactly. don't just double down on the pity party. You also talk about practicing gratitude. How do, how do you yeah. do that? I mean, I I always hear that, and that's a great idea. Get a gratitude journal. That's great, but I it's hard to do. You know, when you're downing donuts and you're 
and you're watching your 14th season of a your favorite Netflix binge. Right. And so, you know, sometimes you have to be um, very purposeful in your attempt to look for what what do I have to be grateful today? And it doesn't have to be big things. It can be, you know, I saw the sunshine today or, gee, I can turn on my faucet and I have clean water that comes out of it. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Or clean air to breathe, whatever it might be, but to be able to just say, okay, what's three things today I can be grateful for? And it might just be things that you normally take for granted, or maybe it's a kind word somebody said to you, whatever it might be, but just to acknowledge those things. And while some people say, yeah, I keep a gratitude journal, journaling's not for everybody. Some people have a bulletin board, or they write it down and put it in a jar. Other people just make a mental note of it, or they talk about it to somebody else. Whatever it might be, just to make that a habit in your life, because... Gratitude is really the antidote for self-pity. You can't feel both self-pity and gratitude at the same time. No, I love that. And it gives you something to do again. I mean, if you're focusing your eyes and your mind on uh, on the good stuff of life, it's hard to – I mean, sometimes that's just why a baby or, um, you know, your favorite television show could kind of get you out of a funk just because it makes your mind go somewhere healthier. Right, and sometimes that's it. You just need to – have that distraction, something to take you off dwelling and ruminating on how horrible your life is. That's it, too, I guess, is one of the keys uh, you talk about is you, you almost have to get out of yourself and serve other people. Otherwise, the pity might keep you in the party. Uh, you, you suggest we help or serve others. Yeah, I'm yet to meet anybody who goes and serves a meal at a soup kitchen and then says, boy, you know, I feel really sorry for myself. Yeah. If you had the wherewithal to get yourself there and you can and you can serve others, it usually helps you switch your focus to know, okay, I have something to contribute to the rest of the world. Even though my circumstances are bad, it doesn't mean I'm useless or worthless. I can still give to other people. And then just having that reason to get up and get out of bed every day can, can make a huge difference. Yeah, just the service, I guess it's... Um... It's such a natural fix, isn't it? If it's kind of, I either need to point my arrows in or my arrows out, and arrows in seems like eventually it's going to be pretty self-destructive. Um, I need to go yeah. out and, and help others, like Cupid kind of does. You also suggest that healthier people refuse to complain about it. Uh, what do you mean by that? And why does it matter if I do complain about it? You know, a lot of people seem to have this notion that venting is really helpful. So if I call everybody I know and tell them how bad my life is, I'll feel better. But when you take a step back and you think about it, like, why would you feel better? The more you talk about something, the more you're thinking about it, and the more it gets your, all your feelings get fueled by talking about it. And it's usually not helpful. If you go to somebody for genuine advice, a trusted friend, that's one thing. But when you're just complaining and you want people to know how bad your life is, it's not helpful for a few reasons. You know, first of all, self-pity is not a particularly attractive characteristic. Most people don't choose their friends based on who feels sorry for themselves. And also, you know, there's not a contest. Sometimes people seem to think, if I can tell you how horrible my life is, it's like there's a prize. Yeah. Really, there isn't any. You don't win anything for having the worst stuff to deal with. Yeah. If you win a pity party, I mean, and then I guess you're just the bigger loser. Great. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's nothing good that comes out of winning it. So. <laughs> it's true. It's And there's something, too, about saying it that makes it seem more real. Right. So the minute I'm arguing for all of my messed up traits, they just become more real. Right. Mm. Man, we're pathetic. 
aren't we, Amy? We just keep we just do it kind of naturally, I guess, because maybe there's a little catharsis that we benefit from by doing it. But in the end, we kind of solidify bigger problems for ourselves. Right. And, you know, there's benefit in being heard. I'll have a lot of people that come into my therapy office and they say, yeah, I want to change my life. But by about week four, it becomes clear they just want to come in every week and tell me all the bad things that happened to them in the past seven days. While it can be helpful to know that somebody's genuinely listening to you, on the other hand, if you're not going to then do anything about it, talking about it alone isn't going to solve your problems or change your life. It's funny, but it's good for business, isn't it, Amy? It just, they just keep coming. Right. It's, and it's sad because you want to help them and, you know, turn their feelings into action. The last thing um, that you just suggest is we maintain a, an optimistic outlook and we go actively go build our mental strength. We've got about a minute left. Talk to us just about the about that. Why? Why is the mental side of this so important to us? You know, because, again, if you have a pessimistic outlook on everything, it really influences how you behave. You won't go out and, and make your life into the sort of life that you want to live. If you, you'll be self-defeated before you even walk out the door. So if you want to be stronger, you have to do two things. The first one is you have to develop healthy habits. But then the other thing is you also have to give up those bad habits like self-pity that drag you down and hold you back. Yeah, or just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, if, right. you, if you don't want to change, then don't. But either way, we pay, don't we? Absolutely. Either way, we pay. Well, I appreciate you, Amy. Great work uh, at Psychology Today and on Forbes and everywhere else that you're posted. Go check out our website, amymorinlcsw.com, amymorinlcsw.com, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Do. Just a great resource for all of us. We're going to take a break, my friends, and uh, when we come back, go check in with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stay with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Townsend Show. Say Geronimo. It's one of my favorite songs recently. Uh, that's, uh, you know, and when I hear it, I think of two guys and one show. BYU Sports Nation, that's the show. The guys, Spencer and Jerem. Nobody says Geronimo <laughs> better than these two. Hello, gentlemen. Say Geronimo. Isn't that a great song? I love that song. Yeah, it's a great song. Was your toe tapping? Have you seen the music video, Matt? No. You should watch the music video. It is... It's interesting. Is it? Oh, is it? I love yeah, that. I feel like I'm watching like the never ending story or something when I'm watching it. Really? Mixed with like lame is, if that makes sense. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> That's a good mix. Hey, you sound like you're out of breath. It's almost like you were running in at I the was, last I minute. Was, I was sprinting. I was sprinting to get here. Well, why? Uh, makeup problems? Yes. Really? We could attribute it to that, yeah. Do you want to talk about it? Well, I got sunburn in Miami, so my skin is flaking up, which uh-huh. is super fun. That's I love that. So, yeah, trying to uh, make it look like I'm not peeling on my head. Here, here's a question for you. It might you know. be a little personal. Okay. <laughs> um, do you like peeling other people's skin? <laughs> Jeremy, you want to take that one, dude? Jeremy, you're up no, first. No, I don't. <laughs> do you like other people peeling your skin? No, I don't. Isn't that weird? The, well, the thing is, a lot of people do like that. I know. They do. Hmm? 
It's yes. grooming. They're like they like yes. grooming uh, you. Girls especially. It's there's something about that. It's like picking your your pimples. Uh, My, okay, listen. What are we talking about? I don't know. It's it's, re, it's regret. <laughs> you think it's weird, but like it is a real thing. And like a that ton, doesn't mean a, it's not weird. A ton of girls like think that that's like the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Man, are the you coolest gonna, thing? Are you going to peel your forehead, or can I have a shot at it? <laughs> it's just sick. It is. It's disgusting. Well, I'm so, it, I'm sorry I brought it up because apparently we've lost Jerem. Well, yeah, I'm Jeremy, extremely he, disinterested right now. Jeremy needs, <laughs> Jeremy needs to get with the reality of what people but are it's, interested it's in. It's totally, that's exactly right. And That doesn't mean I have to care about it. No, you don't I'm not to telling you to it. care about it. I'm just saying the reality is that people care about stuff like congrats that, which, is, which pe- is weird. Congrats to those people. What's you, next? Well, you, you, th- you, think, you think we're ending with that? There's so much Come more. Come on, can, Jerem, let, me know, it, let me know when you're it's done. It's grooming. Hey, um, I, I wasn't on the show yesterday. No, you may have noticed. But uh, I picked up my son from—I didn't pick him up. He came to the airport from his mission in Mexico. Nice. Northern Mexico. And um, But here's here's the deal. So I haven't been able to talk to you guys since BYU—since, uh, since, what's it media called? Day. Media Day. How did that all go for you guys? Because I know that's a big day, and you guys probably had to study harder than ever to get through The funny thing is we day. do it every day, so it felt like almost— a normal day, just Was an extended it? show. Yeah. So it seems harder it's, for it's everyone not, else. It's not a big day. Every day is a big day. We love it. It's yeah. great. It, we, so we did a two-hour show. It's amazing that BYU finally got into the Big 12. Everyone's happy. Stop it. <laughs> did, did, Everyone's did, peeling each other's skin. They're some, ready for the 2015. Hold on. Mm-hmm. I must have missed some news because I don't remember getting into you the Big 12. That? Yeah. Is that a new announcement? Oh, it didn't. No. I'm just, oh, it didn't happen. Jared, My bad. Don't I, do I that. I just hear so much. <laughs> related to this, I thought BYU actually there was some actual action items associated with this. Interesting uh, discussion. I, I miss I, I missed that. Oh, uh, we, oh, we just talk about rumors. Oh, that's there were crazy. three words that came out from Media Day <laughs> that we discussed, and, and they are hunt, eat, and strike. Bronco Mendenhall used the verb hunt oh. multiple times during an interview with us on our two-hour special, saying that we're going to go hunt down teams to try and force our way into a Power 5 conference. Wow. This is a high-risk, high-reward mentality. Jamal Williams came on the show and said, we're going to eat. <laughs> and then Bronson Kafusi, a defender, said, we're going to strike the opponents, strike the players. So wow. like, these very aggressive verbs, which is a new mentality for BYU when you look at Media Day just a few years ago when it was independence is okay. Yeah, life it's is sustainable. good. Yeah. Now it's like okay, now we're never kill or we be gotta killed. Go, we got to go after exactly. Yeah, exactly. Man, see, I got to interview Bronco on my show. He didn't mention hunting, eating, or striking. <laughs> what did you talk about? With we Bronco? we just talked about life in the bubble and his marriage and his family and what he does to stay sane and how how he loves Holly with all of his heart. All of the things that he has ranked above football. Mm-hmm. We talked about his top four priorities. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. And it was a really great show, and he he he, he really, fifth. and and he is amazing. You should just see him together. I'm sure you got a chance to see him together. But when I talk to Holly, or when I ask him about Holly, the dude lights up. So what's really cool, no matter what you feel about sports or BYU sports or Bronco, he loves his wife like completely. Yes, it's pretty amazing. It's cool. That's how we all should be. Well, and I've I mean I've had discussions with Holly and with Bronco about that about. How she is just, you know, she literally is his calm from the storm that he deals yeah. with as a head football coach. In fact, I don't, I guess I can't announce it, but uh, Holly is going to be a contributor on my show now. 
Nice. Not to brag. How often? Like, is this uh, like a once every few weeks thing? Weekly, yeah. Every other week, probably. Nice. Can you believe it? She's got a she's got a lot of great background and does a lot of traveling and is just one and is really good at helping her kids kind of identify what their strengths are because not all their strengths are sports related. No, I know their oldest is big into music. Yeah. So and drama and art and I mean he's they're in a French he's in a immersion French immersion program that he's Wait, loving this summer. Football coach's son isn't going to be a football star. Mm-hmm. Breaker Raider and Cutter, man. Yeah, three of the greatest names in the. Your interviews in the will state. be better. You'll be better with Holly if you tell her that you talk to us on a daily basis. Uh, really? Okay, I'll, yep. I'll do that. Yep. In fact, I'll just I'll get some Spender dirt. Spender and Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> Spender and Jerome. 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 Um, yeah. I'll I'll bring that up. I'll bring it up for sure. She hey, doesn't call us that. I'm just kidding. Are you are you guys still doing your show though today? Doing a show today. What, what's uh, the topic today? We might cancel. I don't know. Don't you know, cancel it. It's been a football. It's been a big well, week it, of football. But yes. It is a big day today. But Why? it is big because of the NBA draft, what happened or yes. did not happen so much with Tyler Haas last night, which opened up an even bigger discussion for us this morning, and that is BYU in the NBA draft era since it went to two rounds. Mm-hmm. And the numbers are staggering. What? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. you that's for show. your show. That's, yeah, exactly. that's a great tease. Great. It was such a great tease you teased me. That's great. Yeah, I'll tell you this much, Matt. What? You have a better chance of dating a millionaire than a college basketball player does of having getting drafted into the NBA. Really? Well, you know I'm— Marrying a millionaire. Yeah, right? you know I'm already married, though, right? Right, and you didn't marry, marry a millionaire. No. Because you're the millionaire. Uh, uh, In blessings. Yeah. Inside. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> that voice. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great he voice, Jeremy. starts it off Jerome. with Geronimo and then ends it with that. I mean, it's so funny because you don't want to talk about peeling someone else's skin off but their body. But you'll do that. But you'll sing that perfect melody. <laughs> like, that was beautiful. Man. See, this is why I feel lucky. Because I know you guys. I feel lucky. I don't know how lucky you should feel, but. That's a good point. Totally. Yeah. Totally yeah. good point. Sigh. Uh-huh. Anyway, well, guys, have a great have a great show. BYU Sports Nation is the name of their show. Uh, Spencer, uh, what was it, what they call it? Spinard, Spender, 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 and Jerome. Jerome, Jerome. Yeah. <laughs> Jerome is like what a second tenor. <laughs> you were beautiful. Oh man. no, he's a high tenor, baby. Is he a first tenor? First man. tenor would be high. Pipes. Yeah. You got depends. Some... Are we singing Brightly Beams? What no, are we singing? That was it. Whatever you were just singing. Did you sing right the there. high tenor line on Brightly Beams, Jerry? In high school, yeah. At a boy. When are I we going to do that? You guys need to do a little hymn song, a little hymn moment. Brightly Beams. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> and with that note, we've got to go. <laughs> we'll turn it back uh, to my show, or we won't do that. We'll just talk about it. Thanks, boys. Have a great show. Dr. Matt. Hasta la pasta. Bye. Bye. Uh, boy, he's got some good pipers singing it. And you know what? Not afraid to sing. Sometimes that's a very difficult thing to sing uh, a song like that. I mean, you know, you don't want to just embarrass yourself by making, you know, some really stupid song. Uh, anyway, great show today. A lot of stuff's been going on. Let's recap uh, one of the big announcements. Uh, the Supreme Court has ruled today that... Uh, same-sex marriage, it's the law of the land. They have the same right to marry and uh, as anyone else. And again, if you, 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 it may be totally against what you believe. You may not understand it. You may not like it. You may just you know, be mad at the, the world and all things political. But when it comes down to it, folks, um, this is the law. 
and I'm a and they're still they're still I believe they're they're still children of God. They have the same needs, the same wants you do. They just are. It's just they're different from what you would want to do or what you think is right. But I also believe that um, tolerance if is is the rule here, right? We we have to learn to be more loving and caring people. And we don't learn that if we only just deal with people that have our same thoughts and beliefs and values. So we need to stretch this this tent of the world uh, to be a lot bigger. We we saw that with the shootings in South Carolina. You, this intolerance isn't good. It can't happen. Neither can the intolerance of uh, lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, LGBT world. You, you, they, you may not understand them. You may not get it. You may not really understand why, why they have to make those choices that way. But in reality, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you have a corner on the market of it, right? Um, Anyway, people are good, and people just want to be accepted and loved and and appreciated as well. Whether you like the laws or not, uh, we can still appreciate the people and love the people. I do want to do a little shout-out to a little six-year-old boy from Hartzell, Alabama, when he and his grand flowers, uh, Grandpa Flowers, uh, were out on a jet ski, they had an accident, and uh, the dad, the grandpa that was on the jet ski, passed out. Carl and Melissa Flowers took their family out on a new boat Sunday to celebrate Father's Day. When the engine started to act up, Papa Carl uh, and Graham decided to go for a ride on the jet ski, while the rest of the family stayed back on the boat. They were having fun time out on the water, and they hit a wave and sent both of them flying off the jet ski. Graham, who's been taking emergency swim lessons, he's six years old, uh, he he hit the water, stayed awake. Grandpa apparently passed out, face down in the water, making bubbles come out of his nose and his mouth. So the cute little six-year-old boy swam over to Papa Carl, grabbed him, flipped him over onto his back, and then pulled him to safety. At first we thought it was so cute that Graham was pretending to drive, uh, pulled him, got him back on the jet ski, and then drove the jet ski in. I mean, amazing stuff, don't you think? A six-year-old boy saving the life of his grandpa. He's my hero of the day. He's the hero of the day. He's a humble kid. He doesn't like attention. He doesn't, you know, he was scared to death out there, but he saved his 67-year-old grandpa. So, folks, uh, don't give up. Life is good. Try to find the good in the world. And remember, we can't do the show without you, so join us every Monday through Friday. Right here on the Matt Townsend Show. You can also find us on iTunes or tune in if you have an Android phone. And we'll try to bring you the good every day. Take care. Until Monday, stay strong and make it a good one.